Hello and welcome to episode 89 of the So Video Games podcast, where we talk about any game at all, including new stuff, old stuff, and anything in between. If we're playing it, we'll be talking about it. Today, we are recording on July 14th, 2018. My name is Corey Motley. I am a staff writer at GameCritics.com, and I'm 50% of this show. Joining me, as always, is Brad Galloway, the editor of Game Critics. How are you, Brad? I'm doing very well, Corey. Thanks for having me on this NPR podcast. I appreciate it. <laughs> Today we're doing a very serious NPR edition of the So Video Games I, podcast. I could tell. I was catching that vibe. <laughs> <laughs> I started to feel like I needed to have something really important to say. I was like, oh, God, what, what can I say? What, what's newsworthy? Oh, you didn't get those pre-planned interview questions that I sent you earlier, Brad? No! <laughs> unprepared! Oh my god, okay, did I, re- did I ever tell you about the time I was on NPR? You did, and I. the funny thing about that is I actually told my boss at work that story, like, a couple weeks ago. Oh my ago. god, yeah. oh my god, nightmare scenario, <laughs> yes, oh, terrible. Anyway, alright, roll on, roll on, sir. Okay, um, part of the reason I'm talking like this is because I want to be silly, and the other part is because I'm recording in the spare bedroom, which is echoier than the living room, which I usually record in, so... Um, I will do my, I'm going to know I'm going to get excited later and this is all going to go away, but I'm going to do my best to talk, <laughs> to talk closer to the mic and quieter. So that way my voice doesn't echo as much. So I apologize anyone listening. If there's a little bit more echo the spare bedroom, I do not have it set up very well for acoustics. Um, so it's a little echoier in here. Um, but, uh, jokes on everybody because Joshua Jackson said that he thinks my voice is sexy whenever I speak lower and closer to the mic. So if anybody has any problems, this is just a show dedicated specifically to Joshua Jackson. So the Joshua Jackson episode. Yes. Um, uh, I don't have anything pressing to say before we get rolling. So do you want to jump into the games, Brad? Yeah, let's just talk about it. We've been uh, talking about banter for quite a bit and, and folks who are interested in that should catch that. We've got some, uh, some good stuff to say this week, but yeah, let's talk about some games. Um, first off, I do want to have a little bit of an apology to listeners because, uh, You'll understand why I didn't have a lot of time. If you listen to the banter, I just got back from a trip, and so my week kind of went sideways. But other than that, I had actually planned to talk about Jurassic World Evolution, and I just literally could not find the time, partly because I was away on a trip, and partly because I was sort of like enjoying playing slash hate playing um, Hollow Knight, and I really just I couldn't tear myself away from it, and so that ended up taking what little time that I had. So... I'm going to do a really quick wrap-up, and I will try to talk about Jurassic Park next week, so apologies uh, to people for me talking about the same thing again, but I want to happily announce that I actually have completed Hollow Knight, like, basically 100%. Uh, I I don't know if people know this, but uh, it's a pretty difficult, at times, Dark Souls-inspired 2D. We covered it last show, so I'm not going to go in all the details of it, but you basically play, like, a little beetle of sorts and a kingdom of bugs that's very Dark Souls inspired and, uh, you know, Metroidvania sort of a thing. But some of the bosses are quite, quite difficult. And I was really bashing my head into a brick wall on some of these guys. It's And it's tough to get a real handle on it because if you're just playing the game legitimately, you don't really know um, if you're supposed to fight this boss is it not the right time? Because it's open and you can go pretty much anywhere you want. So it's very possible to go into an area where you're not prepared, but it's not always easy to tell, like, am I just playing poorly or is this area trying to tell me that I should go elsewhere? Like, it's not clear. 
So I was hitting a bunch of bosses that were difficult, but I, w- I had been playing for like literally like 40 hours and I couldn't help but think I should be prepared by this time. So I spent a lot of time replaying and replaying bosses. And the, the, the killer of all this was there is a secret ending and a secret last boss that you have to go through like all these fucking hoops to figure out. I'm not going to spoil it here. I'm not going to go into the details. It's not, it's boring anyway, but like <laughs> there's just like all these other steps that like you would never figure out on your own. Um, you never figure it out. It's too complicated. It just doesn't make any sense, but you finally get to the last boss. Um, so here's what happens. Like you go to the area where you fight, uh, there's a pre boss. So you fight the pre boss, uh, who is, is not necessarily that difficult, but you just fight him, you get through it. And then you fight the real last boss after that. And the real last boss is fucking ridiculous. Like I watched it on YouTube for the first time. And I was like, there's no way I'm ever going to be able to even do that. Like, I don't even understand how that's even possible. But people on Twitter had told me they had done it. They were encouraging me. And after I saw it, I just, I really got this bug up my butt because I feel like Hollow Knight in general is an excellent game. Uh, the, the, the people who made it, I think they're Australian. I could be mistaken. I think they're Australian. Team Cherry is the developer's name. These guys are clearly super talented. I mean, their art is fantastic. I love their style. Their animation is great. Uh, world design, really strong. A lot of the ideas they have for this game, just really excellent. Like, I, like this game is like perilously close to being like one of the best Metroidvanias like ever made. Like it's really, really close. Um, definitely easily in the top 10, probably easily in the top five, like of all time of Metroidvanias. But these guys have a sadistic streak in them, and I really wish that they would, like, let go of that, because if they had gotten rid of that sadistic streak, I mean, possibly, I mean, I don't know if it's going to replace, like, Super Metroid or something like that, or maybe not Symphony of the Night, but, like, like probably, like, like a number three, like, of all time, and for, like, a first-time game from the studio who, as far as I know, has never made anything before, pretty fucking amazing achievement, right? I mean, it's not often that you're brand new indie game is mentioned in the same breath as Super Metroid and Symphony of the Night, right? That's pretty, that's pretty high honors. But these guys have these leanings where they just fucking take it too far. They just take it too far with the bosses. And I think that's probably some of the Dark Souls influence. I'm guessing these guys, as they were playing Dark Souls, were probably one of those people who like live for the PVP. They just invade people's worlds and fuck people over. Or maybe they just like are just doing the hardest, hardest shit because some of these bosses, I'm just like, oh my God, like this is just it's unreasonable what they want you to do. So here's what happens. You get, you, you fight the pre-boss, you get to the real last boss and he's this giant monster. He shoots swords at you. He shoots lasers at you. In addition to what he shoots at you, there are these little energy balls that like appear and they, they heat seek you. And then also when you're doing that spikes come up from the floor, there's also swords that drop from the ceiling. There's also swords that come from both the left and the right. And so you're in this room full of fucking, like, peril, and everything in this room does double damage to you. So, like, you have on your life bar in Hollow Knight, I think I think the maximum number of, like, life pips you can have is, like, I want to say maybe, like, 10. Maybe 10? I could be wrong, but I think it's about 10. And so when something hits you, it takes away two. So basically you've got, like, five hits to get through this boss. Um, if you can find a chance to heal, you, you might be able to heal. There's a few opportunities to heal, but it's very tough. And so you get through this part, you're just dodging and dodging and dodging and dodging and take a hit and then dodge and dodge and dodge and dodge and hit him and dodge. And then he goes to a second phase where the ground drops away and then you're in these little tiny platforms suspended in the middle of the air and like all the same shit is happening. And I'm like, oh my fucking God. So I, 
I felt like that was terrible boss design. I felt like it was way too hard and just really fucking annoying. But I didn't want to be defeated by that. And I it sounds weird to say that because I've really let go of that feeling of like needing to prove myself. I don't I I've I've walked away from so many games um because they just rub me the wrong way or because I don't feel like the effort is worth it or you know, I'll finish a game but I will not anywhere be near 100% because I just don't care. But for some reason this game was getting under my skin and I just I couldn't let it go and I couldn't stop. So I was not enjoying it. I mean, I enjoyed the game but like not the boss battles what I'm saying. I didn't enjoy the boss battles. Uh, but I couldn't stop. And so I'm like, okay, fuck it. I'm just, I'm not going to rest. I'm not going to sleep. I can't, I can't not do this for whatever reason. So just last night I just sat down, played that one boss, did nothing. else, just played that boss for 90 minutes straight. Didn't do it. Got pissed off, took a break, had some coffee, whatever, whatever, came back, put in another 90 minutes. So like overall, it was about probably pretty close to four hours that it took me, but then I finally got past it and I beat it and I was like, okay, good. Now I'm done. Now I finished it. Now I can say I have completely done everything in uh, Hollow Knight and I can rest. So I did not enjoy that boss. It was kind of like a hate play, but the rest of the game really, really good. And it's interesting because I think this game is like amazing and really phenomenal and very well done. But at the same time, I am very hesitant to recommend it for multiple reasons. Um, the boss is number one. I've talked to many people who also find those bosses to be like too challenging, like in a very unpleasant way. Also, I think this game is like nigh unplayable if you don't have a wiki. I, I use a wiki like constantly on this game and I'm not afraid to say it, not embarrassed because so many things are hidden and secret and confusing and like you would never figure them out. You would never find them. Like just so much secret stuff. Like if you're that kind of guy or girl who really enjoys like being confused and trying to figure things out and making connections on your own, which of course is a very big corollary to the souls community. Uh, but that's actually never been one of the things that I've enjoyed. But if you are that kind of person, like if you're that person who takes notes and likes to make connections and you watch lore videos on YouTube or you make lore videos on YouTube, um, <laughs> if you are that person, this game is your Nirvana. Like you will be in hog heaven with this game. But if you are not that person, and I feel like very few of us are, it's a very difficult game to get through. Like, you just don't know where the power-ups are. You don't know where you're supposed to go. You don't know what to do. You don't know how things work. And it's just very, very, very confusing. Um, so I had a wiki open basically every step of the way past the first five hours. Like, the first five hours, I went in cold. And then once I started realizing, okay, I don't know where anything is. I don't know what's going on. Bust open the wiki. And I'm like, oh, this game is amazing. I wish it would tell me these things because I would enjoy it so much more. But whatever. So I'm hesitant to recommend it because I feel like a lot of people would bounce off of this. I feel like only the most hardcore people will really get the most out of this. But if that is you, or if you like that kind of experience, or if you are up for that challenge, uh, this game delivers in spades. And and aside from that, I think it's very well done. Um, graphics are great. Animation's great. Music's great. Tone is great. I mean, the story, once you figure it out, and you're going to need help for that, is actually pretty great. And... There are many, many small touches. One thing I really want to highlight um, about this game is that the developers really have an outstanding grasp of, of environmental storytelling and of scene setting. Um, there are so many places in the game where there is a special animation or there is a special background that, ha that is never repeated. It's only for, like, this one room. And, like, it tells you a story in this room. Like, you'll go in... And there'll be like, you know, remember, everybody's a bug in this game. So there'll be like beetle carcasses and you're looking around and you're like, oh, OK, well, that means that so and so happened in this room 
And that makes sense because of this thing that I did over here. And, oh, that's so cool that this is here. Or, you know, they get to a special room that clearly is related to another character. And, like, like little touches like that, little one-time animations, little one-time scenes are throughout this entire game. And those really, really put it above, above and beyond what most games do. Because I don't think most developers would go to such lengths to fill in little gaps in the world. And if you're paying attention pretty outstanding so like from an environmental storytelling perspective these guys are basically like a 10 out of 10 um, and they really nail it hard so clearly talented clearly smart clearly inspired um but boy do they have a fucking mean streak in them and i just i really wish they would dial back on that but finally did it wrapped it up did it all the way and I'm very happy that i did i can't say that i enjoyed it but i'm glad that i did it if that makes any sense and i can say that i am i'm good on Hollow Knight, I got the full Hollow Knight experience and uh, very curious to see where these guys go next. So there's my wrap up. Corey, thoughts, questions? This game sounds so terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know that I'm probably talking a lot of people out of it, and I don't mean to because I think this game is wonderful. I think it's excellent. Like, it's really, really, really good. But when you hit those bad parts, oh, it's so bad. Like, it's just like... I was trying to think of like some, I was trying to think of like some way to explain like what it feels like to play this game. And I kind of feel like this game is like, um, I like, like imagine the most beautiful partner that you've ever fantasized, like in your hottest, like dreams, right? Like whether you're a girl or guy, whatever, like imagine like you're, you're, you know, you're, you're, you find like this amazing, like perfect, like so sexy, just like, you know, you want to get with this person and it's, it's got everything that you like. And then the only way you can have sex is if it stabs you in the dick. Like, that's how this game feels. So it's, like, so much good going on, so much great. You like so much of it, and then it's like, eh, that's not so good. So I don't know if that's accurate enough, but that's that's kind of the only parallel I could come up with. Mm-hmm. That does not sound... Like, if I had been playing this game, <laughs> I... I mean, first of all, I probably would have only played it for, like, 15 minutes. And second of all, like, if I had been playing it on the Switch, like you are, I probably would have, like, thrown my Switch out the window into traffic at some point. If I had spent four hours on a single boss in the game, like, I don't want to hear people complain about the boss battles in Deus Ex Human Revolution ever again after hearing <laughs> you talk about this game. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, it's kind of weird because I got to this... I got to this weird Zen state where it was like, I wasn't like allowing myself to get mad because I needed to focus so intently and I needed to just, to just be on it. And so I would just like die, try again, die, try again, die, try again. And I was just trying to just stay like really, really just collected and calm. But honestly, I mean, I will say one criticism that I think is a real deep criticism and a valid one is that with this particular boss and with a couple of the other bosses, they don't quite have a grasp on patterns in bosses so there's um so this boss that i fought with the knives and lasers and the swords and all the shit and there's another boss that comes to mind where there are multiple bosses in the same room but they're all doing their own thing and so it's just kind of random like which attack pattern you get and i think that that is really one thing that i would like to see them polish like there needs to be more order uh for example like when i was fighting the last boss with the swords like sometimes it would be like sword sword heat seeking ball laser and then sometimes it would be like laser, ball, 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 swords. And like it would change. And changing is okay, but sometimes the things would overlap. And so sometimes you would be fighting, you would be dodging like the ball that was seeking you out plus the swords. And then like the laser would come in and like the timing of it wasn't correct. Like it, when you start to overlap those things, it becomes too much. And the one time that I did beat it, I felt like, 
I mean, of course, I mean, you know, there was some skill involved, but I think it was more about the pattern just happened to fall in a favorable way so that I wasn't having to dodge two and three obstacles at once. I just had one at a time. And I, it really felt like half of my success was like luck. So that's not a great place to be with these bosses. Same goes for some of the other bosses where they just, they give you a favorable pattern and then you, you survive it. But it's not really about your timing and your skill. I think there's a little bit more luck or just randomness to it than I would prefer. Um, that's one thing I would really like to see them tighten up. But, um, but, but it's a great game. Like I know I've said a lot of shit about it and, and that shit is true. <laughs> But it is also, it is like a fantastic game. It is a fantastic game. I think it's very close to being a masterpiece, but it is also really sadistic in certain parts. And it is, it is made for a very specific kind of player. And if you are not that kind of player, I imagine you'll probably have difficulty and you will need a wiki and you will need YouTube and you will need other things to get through it. But um, I'm glad that I did. I think it was, I think it was worthy of the reputation. Um, I will be writing a review of it. Um, currently, Mike Susky has a review up on game critics and he has taken so much abuse for his review. Um, he gets a couple emails a week from people who want to like string him up because of that review. Um, so read that one. If you're curious, my review will be coming soon. I liked it more than Mike did. Um, but as much as I like it, there are some problems, but, uh, we will, uh, we'll see how it turns out once I turn in my review, but, uh, that is hollow Knight. Any, any follow-ups or should we move on? Uh, I think I'm, ready to move on hollow Knight let sounds us awful and i never want to play it but i'm glad you did all right i'm not sure if i'm glad i did i guess i'm glad i did but boy <laughs> some caveats there for sure but let's talk about the touring test i have heard of this and i think that you were going to cover it last episode but then you got it delayed or something what is uh the touring test and what did you think of it sir well i haven't played a ton of this game so i'm just going to own up to that right now um and i have played this game courtesy of once again joshua jackson friend of the show he gifted me some games on steam and during the steam summer sale and this was one of them um i'd kind of had my eye on this game for a while i think it's out on consoles as well even though i'm playing it on pc um because it looked uh kind of like a space puzzle exploration game and it was one of those games that i was always a little tentative to buy because first of all it's like never on sale and second of all it's a game that I look at it and I think, hmm, this might be too puzzle heavy for me because we've talked on the show about a hundred times about how bad I am at puzzle games. So Josh gifted it to me and it's basically a space puzzle game. You play as a woman named Ava Turing, which is the dumbest name uh, anyone could ever come up with for a character. And she is in she's i think she's in like cryo sleep or something she's in some kind of like chamber on a space station something's going wrong on a different space station so she gets woken up and there's like an ai sort of voice that guides her to the space station and the entire or from what i've played so far i've probably played it for about 45 minutes to an hour the entire game takes um it's basically just puzzles. It's the the point of the game is that you're trying to get to the crew that's sort of at the central part of the space station, and there's there there's something might be wrong with them. You know they're in danger. Uh, maybe one of them has died. You're not really sure what's going on. You're kind of figuring out as you go, and in order to get to them, you have to solve a number of Turing tests. And for those who aren't familiar, and I hope I don't botch the definition on this, a Turing test is whenever you have a human having some sort of conversation or interaction or interaction with a machine 
and it's sort of one to prove whether or not the human can detect if they're having a conversation with the machine or not. Like that's what a Turing test is. And a movie like uh, like Ex Machina is a movie that is heavily, basically the entire movie is like about uh, the main character going through a Turing test. And I highly recommend that movie, by the way. It's absolutely uh, phenomenal. But um, this game is very similar to Portal. It's kind of one of those games that I'm not sure could exist if Portal hadn't come first, but it's also not as good as Portal. Um, You have, it's first person, there's no combat, so to speak, or at least none that I've come across so far. You have this like energy gun thing, and basically the game is a series of test chambers, much like Portal, also designed similarly to Portal because it's like a white space station, so everything's kind of clean, everything's kind of white and grayscale almost. And every room consists of a different puzzle that usually involves um, sort of like, there's like these uh, energy panels on the wall. Like maybe you'll walk in a room, there'll be like two energy panels, one of the doors will be locked. You have to sometimes pull these like, battery things off a wall and insert them into other energy panels in order to properly get the energy channels flowing correctly through the like the conduits in the walls to open doors or lift elevators or do you know open sets of stairs and stuff like that and you can also uh, you know you can physically move the battery pieces but you use your gun also in some circumstances you can like vacuum in the energy source that's in some of the like battery things and you can like shoot it into another battery thing to to make that energy source um to i guess to like fund its energy so there's it's kind of like a two two different things you can either manually carry some of them or you can like use your gun to absorb the energy and then blow it back into a different into a different conduit and so, as you might imagine, most of the game is consisting of you, like, figuring out how to solve these uh, sometimes obtuse puzzles that involve, like, you standing on this ledge and, you know, pulling the energy source in and then put, putting it into a conduit that makes this, like, elevator move. And then you go up the elevator and you pull the conduit back into your gun and then you go into a different room and you shoot the energy thing into a different conduit and then it opens a door. And it's, it's just a lot of puzzles like that. Very... Very much like Portal. I hate to keep uh, comparing it to that, but it's it's similar, except for Portal obviously has the portal gun where you can like walk through walls, and this game doesn't have anything like that. Um, and I've played it for about an hour, maybe, and I'm just not... I think if you're someone who likes this kind of puzzle game, like if you played Portal and it's like totally your jam, and you really like um, these sort of like spatial puzzles where you have to think about, okay, I have these six moving objects in this room. I have these two energy, um, you know, uh, balls or this energy packet and this energy uh, gun thing. And I need to figure out how to like, you know, replace these energy particles in order to get the right things moving to get out of this room. Like if you're someone who likes that kind of game, I think this will be really up your alley. I was hoping personally for me that it would be a little bit more like narratively driven. I mean, throughout the puzzles, the main character, Ava, continues to have these conversations with the AI like guy that's sort of like in her suit or in the station because he kind of helps guide her through. But the point is that she can solve the puzzles that a machine can't. And that's why they have to send a human in because the machines can't intuit enough in order to um, solve these puzzles. So that's like kind of the point. But 
I was hoping that it would be a little bit more narratively driven, maybe a little bit more walking simulator-esque, uh, dare I say. But so far, from about the hour that I've played, it's basically just kind of one puzzle test chamber after another that involves these sort of like energy displacements. And whenever it comes to games like that, I certainly respect them for the way they're built. And I, um, I have no doubt that there's a lot of intellect that went into creating them. And the game itself is gorgeous too, by the way, like it's really beautiful. Um, I, I, I don't doubt that there's a lot of creativity and a lot of, uh, like intellect that went into building this kind of game and like the creativity with the puzzle solving. But if that is, and this is something that scares me about certain like first person narrative adventure games that are very puzzle based is that if if puzzles are all you have and that's it and there's not like breaks for exploration or breaks for a lot of narrative or breaks for character interaction then i tend to fall off of those pretty quickly and so i was hoping that this game would be more than just one puzzle after another but from what i've played that's all it is so far so i kind of just gave up on it and i know that Josh, I know you're listening. Um, I don't want you to feel bad for gifting me a game that I ultimately didn't like because obviously I put it on my wish list. It was something that I wanted. Um, but uh, don't feel bad for me not liking this. Um, obvi- and it also wasn't expensive because it was on the Steam summer sale. But I thank you and I appreciate you uh, sending it to me. I have a couple other games that he sent me that I'll be talking about in the future, uh, probably next week. But this game's just... It's just not for me, I guess, is the best way that I could sum it up. It's too puzzle heavy, and I'm not smart and tactical enough to solve these kind of puzzles all the time, and I'm too impatient to look up guides to figure out how to solve the puzzles in this game because the narrative that is there so far is not interesting enough to want to push me to look up the puzzles to solve them so I can see where the story's going because the story's too thin at this point. Um, So I think I'm just going to throw in the towel and give up on this game right now. Interesting, interesting. I will say, <clears throat> so a couple of couple of things here. Um, I will say that as the editor of Game Critics, you know, I've, I've mentioned this before, I get a billion emails a week about games that people want me to look at. And I will say that there has been a rash of games that I can only describe as portal alikes lately. And <laughs> I mean, there's always been a bunch. But like, holy fuck, dude. Like, I liked Portal a lot. Like, I thought Portal was great. And I, I mean, I think everybody liked Portal. I mean, it, how do you not like Portal? But like, oh my God, like so many games come out where it looks like Portal. It's the same basic idea as Portal. You're just doing these room-based puzzles. And, you know, like it like it just look it's just Portal over and over and over and over and over and over. We just ran a couple of reviews at Game Critics for games that were like Portal, and like every single review mentions compares them to Portal, but like, <laughs> how do you not? Because Portal like basically set the bar for everybody, and like so many people are having trouble breaking out of that mold. Um, I'm not saying that nobody can do it. I'm not saying it hasn't been done, but like I like hearing you talk about this, I'm like, oh, it's one of these. So I know, <laughs> I totally know what you're talking about. And honestly, I just delete most of them because there's no there's no interest. Um, Portal did what it did and did it amazingly. And if all you're gonna do is that again, don't because it's already been done. Um, well, okay, so a couple. I'm I'm getting real tangential here, but speaking of which. And we will come back to this thing in a second, I promise you. But, like, I've been noticing more and more developers, um, especially smaller ones, who are just basically copying another game and then calling it an homage and putting it out there and wanting to get some attention. Like, 20XX is how I think it's coming out. It looks just like a Mega Man X game. A little bit different, but looks just like it. There was another game that was called, like, Battle Princess Madeline, which just looked just like Ghouls and Ghosts. Um, there's, I mean, there's, like, a couple of these where they're coming out, and I'm like, this looks exactly like XYZ game. 
And they're like, oh, no, no, it's like an homage or it's our take on it. And it's like, no, you're just making the same fucking game. Like, make a new fucking <laughs> game. I have zero patience for these games. Like, do not do not tur- take the character of Ghouls and Ghosts and make it a woman and call it a brand new game. Like, fuck you. Like, make something else. <laughs> um, so I just, I just don't understand. Like, if you're doing it for yourself, if you're trying to teach yourself to be a game developer, a practice project, cool, do whatever. But, like, do not approach with a game that is exactly like something else and try to sell me on it because I will not even fucking take the time. So, okay, so getting, <laughs> get away from that. Get away from that. Um, did you ever play the Talos Principle? I didn't. It's been, and I've seen it plenty, and I know exactly what it is, but I have never, I've never owned it, nor have I played it. Have we talked about it on the show? I don't know. Okay, so you're making me think of the Talos Principle. Um, which I think is probably one of the only games I've ever played, which is a portal alike, but is actually good enough to stand on its own and is something that I really deeply enjoyed. Um, it's kind of similar to what you're saying. Uh, in the Talos Principle, you play a robot. You wake up in a chamber and you are supposed to do these room-based puzzles. So, you know, the portal thing again, um, to figure out if you are advanced enough to move on to your next purpose in life or robot life or whatever. So you go through these puzzles and they're all about like manipulating different things. Um, you know, there's like force fields to turn off and on. There are little, uh, explosive things to avoid. I mean, you know, I'm sure you can probably imagine the kind of puzzles that you would encounter in a game like this. Um, but being the robot was really interesting and the story was um, very well done. I think the game overall probably about maybe five or 10 hours too long, but super worth it when you get to the end and the story unfolds and you find out what's really going on. It was pretty awesome. I really liked it a lot. Puzzles were very, very solid. I don't know if it would be your thing because it is intensely puzzle based. I mean, you have to, there's definitely story and there's definitely secret stuff to figure out and there is some exploration, but a lot of it is just the puzzle. So I don't know that it would be a good fit for you, but if you want something that is like portal, but not quite, but is, but is solid and has its own vibe to it. I really like the Talos Principle a lot. I, I I got to it, I think, the year after it came out. And that's too bad because I definitely would have recommended it as one of the 10 best of the year if I had played it that year. Uh, but very, very good. Great story. Great ideas. Great puzzles. Really like it a lot. A little bit too long, but still forgivable because it's such a strong game. So, um, like I said, Corey, I don't know if it's going to be your jam. But if you are in the mood for that, give it a shot. I think it's excellent. And for people listening, um, I, you know, if if... The idea of what Corey was describing in the Turing test sounds okay, but you're not really too sure. I can definitely give you a seal of approval for the Talos Principle. I love that game. Very good. Yeah, I think um, that's kind of been my thing about the Talos Principle is that every time I look at it, I, I feel like I like the idea of it, and I like the graphical design of it, and I think it looks interesting, and it has an interesting premise, but then I see the fact that the game is almost entirely puzzle-based, and that's a really big turnoff for me whenever it comes to games. So I just don't think I would be smart nor clever enough to play a game like that. I will Full disclosure, I was not smart enough to play a game like that. I got through probably three quarters of it on my own, and that was with some effort um but i definitely needed to dip into like a walkthrough or like youtube for a couple of those because i my brain was just not getting the job done (laughs) um so i fully admit that i was not able to finish it like without help i definitely needed help but i'm glad that i did anyway because the the story 
I really feel like was worth the effort. And I, that is so rare these days, especially for one of these games, because usually it just turns out, oh, you were in a science lab. Oh, surprise. Oh, there's, you know, <laughs> experiments going on. Oh, surprise. Oh, you were dead. Oh, surprise. Like, but this one, the story came together so well. The ending was so satisfying. It was one of the most satisfying endings I've ever gotten in my life, where I really felt like all the time, all the effort, everything I went through, when you finally got to where it was going, it was like, wow, that was that was worth it. That was so amazing to get there. It was really good. I I mean, I can easily remember everything about the ending. One of my favorite endings of like all time. In fact, when I finished that game, I I just like sat there and just stared at the at the credit screen because I was just like absorbing it. Yeah. And I was just I mean, how rare is that? Like usually, you know, you delete the thing, move on, turn it off, go get a beer, whatever. But in this one, I was like just sitting there, kind of just like taking it all in. It was one, it was wonderful. So shout out to Talos Principle. I again, I don't know if it's your jam core because it's extremely puzzle based, but I do love that. And and for folks listening, give it a shot, maybe. Maybe I feel like Talos Principle is one of those games where if I see it on a Steam sale for like three dollars, I might go in for it. Or maybe if I put it on my wish list and it gets cheap enough, then someone will buy it for me who listens to the show. Maybe that will happen <laughs> in the future. <laughs> but uh, I don't, I think I'm too worried that I, it wouldn't be my jam to pay a lot for it. But if it were cheap, yeah. I'd probably go in. Well, those worries are, those worries are, are founded. I think you have reason to be concerned because the puzzles are messing around in that game. But boy, am I glad that I got through that game. That was one of the best, one of the best experiences I've ever had. I think I love, I love that game, even though it kind of defeated me at some points, but Still really good. So any final thoughts on Turing Test? Uh, I don't think so. All right, cool. Let me jump into my next section. Um, kind of like last week. I think it was last week where I had a bunch of games lined up that I only spent like five minutes each on. That was last week, wasn't it? I don't even remember at this point. <laughs> uh, yes. Welcome to So Video Games, uh, where we don't know what we did last week. Okay, well, that's that's what's going down this week, regardless of what happened last week. Uh, like I said, I wanted to play Jurassic World. Didn't get to it. Um, I was sent... Okay, so, okay, let me back up. I was sent <laughs> one game that I meant to talk about, and I will explain why I'm not going to talk about it very long. And I'm like, well, that's not enough. I can't talk about just that, because it'll take me 30 seconds. So I went to the Switch, my go-to Switch, and I had a bunch of games lined up that I bought on sale but had never played. So I'm like, okay, this is the time. I'm going to play these. Maybe I will find a winner. And I'm just going to go through these one by one really, really quick. So the first one, I can't even remember what it's called because that's how much I liked it. It's called, it's called, I'm looking it up. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Uh, <laughs> Cthulhu Chronicles. Okay, Cthulhu Chronicles on iOS. Now, I don't usually play a lot of iOS games, but Cthulhu stuff and Lovecraft stuff is one of my weaknesses. I love that whole mythology and that whole system in the world and just all the stories. Um, so that's... That's a quick way to get my attention. I fully admit that's one of my weak spots. So they're like, yeah, Cthulhu Chronicles, come check it out. I'm like, okay, cool. So I don't quite understand the structure of it. There's like a number of like quote unquote books, which look like levels to me. And you pick one and you start, you, you, you pick a character. I think there was like eight different characters to pick from. There was like a detective. There was like a school teacher. There was like a businessman. And they all had different stats. Uh, but I didn't know what the stats meant, and I didn't know what I would be doing, so I had no idea how important any of this was. So I pick a guy at random. You start uh, the first chapter, the first level, and it's just like text. It's about, oh, you're on a trip, and you're going to be going to the city, and you're living out in the sticks, and you got to catch a carriage. Because, you know, in Lovecraft times, it was like 
horse and carriage kind of a thing. Or maybe like Model A car or something like that. <laughs> so you're driving out, and of course the car breaks down. You get stuck in a weird, creepy village in the middle of nowhere. And you investigate the town. I mean, it sounds like an okay premise and very Lovecraftian, so I was kind of down. But literally all the game is so far is just text, which is fine, but I thought it was a game and not a book. So I'm reading it. <laughs> Story's okay. Writing's fine. Uh, and then you get to, like, every once in a while, you will get to, like, a skill challenge where it'll be like, oh, um, the driver of the carriage is giving you a funny look. Uh, do you challenge him on his look or do you look away and pretend like nothing happened? And, like, whatever one you pick, it'll be like, okay, skill challenge. And then the little wheel pops up and it'll be, like, 90% success, 10% fail, depending on whatever stat they're looking at so you push the button and then that's all you do you push the button the wheel spins and you either pass it or you don't without any further input from you and then the story continues and i'm like this is not very much of a game you guys this is just some kind of a short story which is fine because short stories are cool but i didn't sign up for short stories and i thought this was going to be a cthulhu oriented game and i do not think that pushing a button to spin a wheel and then watch the results is enough gameplay for me so I got a little further, and then I'm like, I'm bored. I'm out. I'm done with this. Uh, didn't finish the first story. Didn't see any more of the game. I, I, I just, It just lost me. Just really lost me. So maybe these stories are great. Maybe it's worth reading through just to get to the end. Who knows? I'm sure that Lovecraft fans probably know how they're all going to turn out anyway. But I got bored. So I do not recommend Cthulhu Chronicles. And I deleted it, and that's all I'm going to say about it. <laughs> Uh, moving on. So getting to the Switch games, I had a bunch of stuff lined up. Uh, first off, I played Dust Off Heli 2, short for helicopter, where it kind of reminded me of like Choplifter from like way back a million years ago. Um, you play as a little pixel-based helicopter uh, in a military setting where you need to go and like rescue dudes or maybe you need to like shoot enemies and then you go back to your base and heal. It's like So it's 2D, so like you're only really flying like left and right and up and down. And it's very cute looking. It looks like it's made out of like Minecraft blocks or something. So I thought that was cute. And I like the idea of, you know, having a helicopter and rescuing dudes. Something about that seemed kind of appealing to me. But I didn't realize that a big thing on the Switch right now is people are bringing iOS games to the Switch in record numbers, which I do not like. And they're not clear about it. They're not. I mean, it's, it's not always immediately obvious which is an iOS port and which is an original game made for, you know, PC or Switch or whatever. And so, like, I'm finding that I'm, I'm ending up buying a lot of these games on accident. I mean, not that I'm accidentally buying them, but, like, I'm <laughs> buying them thinking that they're legit games, not iOS ports. And I'm not saying that iOS games are not real games, but you know what I'm saying? Like, a mobile game for your phone is not usually the same thing as something that is designed for a controller or designed for the Switch specifically. So I stumbled into a lot of these, and I'm very displeased. Um, so Dust Off Heli 2... While it's okay, it's got that fucking thing where you got to replay levels to get three stars, which is totally an iOS thing. It seems like there was microtransactions because a lot of the stuff you just have to grind for levels to get better guns or to get better equipment. And I'm like, this sucks. Like, this is not a traditional game. It's a, it's a mobile game. And if I wanted to play this, I would play it on my phone. So I did a couple levels and I just got tired of the going back and getting stars and just like the controls were definitely like mobile controls, which was really shitty where you just kind of hold, you know, a button to go up and down. And it just, it, I could easily see this being on a touchpad or, you know, touch screen. So I'm like, okay, done, done with this. Not going to play it anymore. Finished. Um, and speaking of iOS ports, I played Maria, the witch also on switch, which is another motherfucking iOS port, which I didn't realize. <laughs> 
It looks very cute. You play this little cartoony little witch girl on a broom, and she's like a delivery person or something like that. Maybe taking a few cues from Kiki's Delivery Service. Uh, so I'm like, oh, this is cute. It looks like a little 2D fly around on your broom, dodge things. You know, not nothing deep, but sometimes all you want is a little time killer. And, you know, something that's not a big commitment is really nice. I mean, after putting 50 fucking hours into Hollow Knight, I'm okay playing a game for like 30 seconds at a stretch or whatever. So... It looks cute. It all seems fine. I start to play and I'm like, what is going on with these controls? And I'm like, oh no, it's another iOS game. God damn it. And, uh. <laughs> so instead of controlling her like you think you would, like you think you would control her like, like a shooter, like, you know, use the D-pad to move up and down and around, maybe push a button to dash or maybe push a button to shoot a management. No, 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 no. Because that doesn't work on a phone. On a phone, you just have a fucking touchscreen. So what you do in this game is you hold the button down, and as you're holding the button down, she will start to do a loop-de-loop. And you let the button go when she's pointing the right way, but she will also be subject to gravity, so she will fall, and also she might not be pointed exactly the right way because it's a fucking touchpad screen, so you're not going to get a lot of specificity on this. And so in order to fly anywhere, hold the button, move her forward, she starts to do the loop-de-loop, let go when she's pointing the right way, she falls back down. Oh, no, she's falling. Push the button again. Have her do another loop. Let go. I'm like, what is this madness? This is crap. It's like the most basic side-scrolling flying game, but they completely cock it up with these bullshit controls. And I'm like, <laughs> I oh, I was just, I was raging because I was like, this is stupid. This should be a really fun, simple shooter. And instead, these controls are fucking ridiculous. So I just deleted that immediately. I'm like, I'm not going to play this. This is, this is not happening. Uh, and two more games to go. The next one, I, I don't know if it was a mobile game, probably was a mobile game, but even if it's not, it's crap anyway. It's called One Strike, and it's a Asian-themed uh, samurai game, which reminded me of, uh, what is that game? It was on PS1, where you play it as, like, samurai, and if you killed somebody, you hit somebody with one hit, they would die. It was a fighting game. And I'm totally blanking. Do you know the game I'm talking about, Corey? I don't know what you're talking about. Probably before your time, because I'm really old. Oh, uh, how dare you. It was... <laughs> uh, so, okay, whatever. I'm sure the people listening to the podcast are screaming at their uh, <laughs> at their old-time electronic uh, glass tube radio, which they're listening to us on, and, and telling me the name of the game. I'm sorry, people, I can't hear you, because that's not how podcasts work, but I thank you for suggesting that out loud to me. Uh, whatever that game was... There was a game that was made by Squaresoft where I'm pretty sure it was Squaresoft where you played a samurai and if you struck somebody with your sword, you could like do injuring blows. But if you were very careful, you could kill people in one hit with just like a killing blow. And that's what this game is basically taking a cue from. You have these 2D pixel based characters who are various types of ninja and samurai and you kind of like walk back and forth and attack and whoever gets their attack in first is the winner. So that kind of sounds cool to me, except it controls like shit. And there's no tutorial. There's no training, no explanation of what's going on. And they all have these weird moves. Like the buttons are not the buttons you think they would be. One button is like dash forward. One button is walk forward. One button is block. One button is like prepare to strike. The other button is to actual strike, but you have to prepare to strike first. And it's just like the whole thing was clunky. It didn't feel smooth either. It was like you push the button and then the person would do that maneuver. It was like you you maneuver it in like chunks, if that makes any sense. Like push the button, you will move forward X amount of feet. Or push the block button and it's not real time happening. Like it's going into like the block animation. 
So you kind of had to like understand like the timing and the slow, chunky movement of your character. Uh, I hated this game. I thought it was going to be really cool. I was down with the idea. I could get past the first guy every single time, no problem. Wait for him to attack, block, counterattack, win. No problem. I could do that literally every single time. First guy has never killed me. Cannot pass the second guy. He kills me every single time. <laughs> no matter what character I pick, no matter what I'm doing, he just somehow gets in and kills me. And that's the problem with a game like this. You will never beat the AI. Human beings will never beat the AI when it's tuned like this. And the AI is out for your ass. So there is no way your reactions and your prediction will beat the AI. So I'm like, this is bullshit. This is just like, I, I threw my money away on this because there's no way I'm going to beat the computer on this. So I can't, I can't, and that was on the easiest setting. There's like two other difficulty settings above that. And I'm like, no way. I mean, there's it, like not physically possible, not humanly <laughs> possible. So very upset at one strike. And I'm upset that I can't remember the name of that other fucking game. God damn it. I'm going to find, I'm going to Google that once you start talking. Um, so did not like that. Do not recommend that. And then I finally found one that I thought was actually pretty okay. Uh, it's called Catobot Wars. K-A-D-O-B-A-T. Catobot. Catobot Wars. And it wouldn't surprise me if this was another iOS game. I suspect that it is. But this one actually translated pretty well. In this one, you are some kind of an alien taking over planets. It doesn't matter. Uh, the point being is that you have a couple of characters that you can put on your team there's like i think eight or nine characters total you pick three and they each have different abilities but what happens is they're arranged in a triangle so you're looking at a 2d plane each side has three characters the enemy's three characters your three characters and then these little timer bars start counting and whenever the timer is full then you can activate uh, an ability which sounds like whatever no big deal and at first you think the only thing to do is to key off an ability when it's full up but there actually is like a, a real-time element to it where you have to watch what your opponent's doing. And even though your timer may be full, that just means the move is ready. And so don't do it right away. Wait till they do their move first, counter it, and then you will attack. And so it's kind of about watching meters, watching the enemy, and then keying off these attacks when it's time. Very kooky theme. Like every character is wacky, bizarre, like very Japanese, um, you know, anime style thing. Uh, some of them are cute, some of them are just weird, but I think the the hidden depth of watching your enemy and not keying off a move when it's ready was very surprising to me, and it took me a little while to figure it out, but once I got in the groove, I thought this game was actually pretty fun. So it's, I, like I said, I'm pretty sure it's an iOS game. There's not a lot of interaction, and there's not a lot of content. I think I finished it in probably an hour and a half, so it's not super long, but for what it was, I thought it was cool. Um... I know it's it's tough to describe this one. I'm sure a lot of people are thinking, I don't even understand what this game is about. But <laughs> basically, just figure out you're putting together a team of three characters and you are watching meters grow and then you are selectively attacking. And that's kind of what it is. But it's better than what I'm describing. But I just simply have no words to describe how it is because it's such a bizarre <laughs> game. I think it costs like $3 or something. That one was worth it. I thought that was interesting. I would recommend that one to somebody who likes weird fringe games. Um, all of the other games, Cthulhu Chronicles, Dust Off Heli, One Strike, Maria the Witch, those are all hot garbage, and I do not recommend any of those. Do not sink any money into those at all. Um, so yeah, I just, I rattle off a million games. I don't know if you have questions, comments, thoughts, Corey, but there, there we go. There's my weekly, weekly game dump. There it is. I just want to say that I'm generally, like, 
fine with the idea of uh, taking an iOS game and mapping it to a different console. But what I'm not okay with is not um, like tailoring it for that console. Like if all you do is take the iOS game and don't make any control accommodations for like the joysticks or the buttons or anything that would make sense for a console, I don't think that's very cool. And that's something that I've been, that I've brought up a couple times uh, whenever it comes to PC to console ports lately because like North that I played a while back and uh, Welcome to Handwell that I played like a month ago, both of those games were very evident that it was just a PC game that was ported to consoles. And I'm sure there's, you know, complications going in there. I doubt very seriously you just, you know, select all the code in the game, right click it, hit copy, and then paste it into some like PlayStation 4 game maker or something. But like neither of those games had inverted controls for PlayStation controllers. And it's just like one of those things where I mean, it wasn't a deal breaker for me because I ended up playing both of those games uh, without with standard controls. But if you're going to take a game and move it from one platform to another, you have to make some accommodations to make it work on that platform and not just like dump the game on it and then peace out and leave. One thousand percent agree. I, I could not agree with you harder. It's very obvious when someone has not done any like platform localization where you know you take into account what the new controller looks like or you take into account how that platform works like is it is it portable like the switch is it on a big big screen tv do we need to change the font size do you need to change how the buttons laid out are there buttons is there a fucking pause are there any options whatsoever i mean yeah it's very very obvious when someone has done a quickie port job and i i mean i i'm not saying it's easy I don't know how difficult that is. I don't know what's all entailed, but I know that as a consumer, it affects me. And when someone doesn't do that, I, I find that the product is probably not a very good quality if they haven't taken the time to do that. So it's just something you got to factor in. And if you do like these games have done, you're looking for a quickie buck on the switch or, you know, whatever you're porting to, you want to just make those quick sales. Like it's not worth it. I mean, if you're trying to be in this business for more than one release, you got to like put some quality behind it because otherwise people are going to remember, oh, these are those guys where I spent three bucks and bought that shit game that wasn't really ported <laughs> very well. I'm not going to buy that again. I mean, you know, like just I, take some pride in what you're doing. Take some time, like really, really make it a quality product. Like don't just crap it out and then hopefully get those sucker purchases where people buy it and then they regret it immediately afterwards. That's that's pretty low. I can't stand that. So I agree. I wish more people would do a better job of of platform localization, if that's even the right term. So yeah, 1000% agree. Any other questions you want to move on? Uh, I think I'm ready to move on. I am also ready to move on. And I have fully deleted all those games off of my switch and off my phone. So (laughs) we're not going to be talking about those ever again, but you, Corey, um, we talked about the Payne's Creek killings last week. That was a, I don't know, murder oriented walking simulator that you were really into. You thought that was um, a good one. Uh, And now, I see, according to the notes, you have finished it and would like to talk about the ending and uh, maybe some spoilers. So is this a good point for a spoiler warning? This is a very good point for a spoiler warning. So anybody that's listening, um, this is the last game we're going to discuss before we go to the closing and to the banter section. We're going to talk about, I want to do full ending spoilers for the Pain Screek killings on PC um, if you're interested in playing this game at all, I would highly recommend avoiding this section because the ending is 
fantastic and I wouldn't Ooh. want yeah very good and I wouldn't want you to be spoiled going in um, however if you're never planning on playing this game and if you don't care uh, please feel free to listen forward I will put as always timestamps in the show notes whenever the show goes live a detailing uh, you know right around this point I'll mark the spoiler section for the timestamp and I will also put the timestamp for when we are finished discussing and we move on to banter in case you want to come back and listen to banter later um, but Consider this your red alarm bells going off warning that I'm going to dive into the ending stuff for Pain's Creek Killings, and uh, we are ready to move forward. Are you ready, Brad? I'm ready. I am interested because I always love it when a game has a great ending. I feel like not enough games have a great ending, but I will probably never in my life play this game, so I am very <laughs> excited. This is one of my favorite kinds of segments where I just get the good stuff. Skip all the searching, skip all the walking, skip all the emo. Just give me the good stuff. All right. Okay. Well, so just to recap slightly about what this game is, this is a PC exclusive for now. I have no idea if they're planning on bringing it to consoles ever. This might be one of those games that comes to consoles in like five years because sometimes that's how PC games work. Um, It is a first-person walking sim. It is a murder mystery where you play as a female journalist, and she is going into this abandoned town, and it's not very big, but it's an abandoned town, um, and she's investigating an unsolved murder for a woman who used to live in this mansion, sort of in the back. It's like a rich family. She lived in this mansion with her husband and her maids and all these other people in the back of the town. She was murdered. It was unsolved. I think the town is going to get like bulldozed pretty soon because pretty much everybody in the town has either died or has moved out of the town. And so this is her last chance to go find some answers. And her editor sends her on her way. And you start the game at the gates of the city, ready to go in and, uh, and try to solve the murder. And something to note, the interesting thing that I found about this game is that it doesn't really hold your hand at all. And it tells you that straight up. Like whenever you start the game, it says you know, this game doesn't really hold your hand. You might want to have like some paper and a notebook and a pen ready in case you need to take notes. And I took about three pages of notes whenever I was playing this game. So um, there came a point where I was in over my head and I decided that I needed to start taking it a little bit more seriously, to which I did. And I pulled a notebook out of my desk and started writing stuff down. Because at first I thought like, oh, whatever. Like, I don't need to write anything down. I'm a cool guy. I can remember everything. And then an hour later... (laughs) I was like, oh, what is this key for? Like, what was that document I read? I can't remember anything. And every time you read a document in the game, it does uh, copy it into, like, the pause menu. There's, like, an inventory screen. So you don't have to, like, screenshot every page of every, like, journal that you read. I I love that you're a cool guy who doesn't need to write anything down. I love that idea of just, like, I'm cool. I don't need to write nothing down. Well, I mean, you know. I I love that. I, I thought, you know, I could, you know be that guy and be like, oh, whatever, like, I don't need, you know, whatever, fuck this game. Don't tell me what to do in a video game. Like, I'll live my life how I want and live it on the You're edge. You're not my dad. Get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> but, of course, um, that was a mistake, clearly, because I ended up taking a lot of notes later. Um, and also, it's worth noting that there's a lot of characters in this game. You, you don't, um, you don't really, like, interact. I, I, I'm trying to figure out how to say this the best way. The town is deserted. Let me put it that way. You, you read stuff, you listen to some audio logs. The audio logs are not very abundant. Usually it's like an answering machine in somebody's uh, house or somebody's room, and you press the answering machine button and listen to the message. So it's not like Bioshock where there's an audio log in every room and you're listening to like 10 minutes of dialogue through that. That's not how it is. Um, it's a lot of reading. It's a lot of exploring, a lot of key finding, remembering where keys go to go unlock rooms. It's, it's really kind of slow and dry, but for some reason I really was into this game because... 
I was getting really involved in like the drama of all the people that lived in the town because it's kind of like a soap opera. You find all these people's journals and it's over like a 30 year span. So you get to figure out where they originated, where they went to and kind of where they ended up. And the more you explore, the more you figure out that uh, Vivian, the woman you're trying to find who was murdered, who whose murder was unsolved. Um, she's definitely not the only person that got murdered in this town. So it starts tangling up into this big murder mystery. And you're not sure if like maybe one person was like murdering everybody or if like th there's definitely these um, these themes in the game whenever you're reading the journals of like, you know, this guy likes this girl and then this other guy also likes the girl. So maybe like the guy murdered the other guy, you know, out of jealousy, you know, like that, that kind of stuff. So maybe like a bunch of people died, maybe people killed themselves, maybe accidents happened and people died. There's just a lot of stuff going on, but it's all pretty interesting for the most part. And there's a real sense of um, accomplishment as you get through it, for me at least, whenever I would get through, because sometimes you get to certain rooms and you find things. And it's, it reminds me, I said this last week, it reminds me a lot of her story on iOS because like a lot of the game you just kind of play in your head. Like, yeah, you're exploring. Yeah, you're earning some achievements here and there. But it, the game is not like, there's no waypoints. There's no, um, you have a map, but it's not interactive at all. You literally just look at the map on the screen and that's it. Um, so a lot of it is just like you feeling personally satisfied for, um, for uncovering the stuff that's happening in the town. And so... Um, I'm going to dive into some of the ending stuff pretty soon, but Brad, do you have any questions or input before I jump into ending stuff? Uh, my only question, you already said that there's no handholding, so there's no hint system or anything, but I guess my only question would be, you don't meet anybody, um, so I'm guessing there's probably not ever like a fail state, like there's no way to ever die or anything, right? You're just kind of just cruising through the town? Yeah, I didn't find any way to die, um, so I don't... I don't think there's a fail state during the game that, that I found anyway. Okay, that's fine. I was just wondering if there was ever, like, you know, I don't know, a monster pops up or you fall in a pit <laughs> or any. I mean, there's probably no reason to ever get set back or you don't ever lose progress or anything. You're just searching stuff, right? Yeah, that's pretty much how it is. Okay, okay. Roll on, sir. Okay, so I start getting to the end of the game, and it's becoming more and more clear that, it, like, there's just so much so much so many tangled narratives happening where like the woman vivian that you're trying to uh solve her murder it turns out that her husband who she lived in the mansion with had had an affair with one of the maids who worked there and got her pregnant and the maid uh whenever she gave birth to the child it was a boy and Vivian, the woman you're trying to explore, is trying to figure out who, um, uh, how she died. Um, her, the dad, her husband's uh, mother, uh, Magdalene, had wanted a son for the family, but Vivian had a girl and not a boy. So Vivian, feeling uh, oppressed by the mom's desires for her to have a boy, because Vivian, uh, after she had her first child, her daughter Sophia, she could or Sophia's not her daughter. I can't remember her daughter's name. Um, she could no longer give birth, and she went into kind of like a depressive episode and was hospitalized for a while. 
Well, Vivian plots the murder of her husband's mom, which is, this game's kind of like Clue. It's like Vivian murdered Magdalene in the mansion with pills that her doctor gave her to cause her to have a heart attack. <laughs> like, there's just like a lot of stuff like that going on in this game. And that's just like one like small piece of the narrative. So it's kind of one of those games where like no one, nobody's innocent in this situation. Like pretty much everybody in the game has like murdered somebody else or has like plotted some kind of like some, someone else's demise. Well, it turns out that um, you're following the narrative of these journals of a kid who grew up, who, who was an orphan who grew up in the church that's on one side of the town. And he was brought to the, it's, you know, classic story. He was abandoned kid brought to the church's doorstep. He grew up under the guise of the father of the church, uh, Father Matthew, I think his name is in the game. Well, after you dig long enough, it turns out that the boy was actually the maid's son who they sort of shipped off and had kept a secret because they were trying to keep everything under wraps. Well, he is the maid's, um, the maid's son, and he returns to the town at a certain point, and you, you're following his notes of like trying to figure out like who he is. And so you eventually find out that he finds out that he's the maid's son, and that you had like worked for the family and you didn't really know that like your dad was your dad because he was like a gardener for the dad in the mansion or something but it was really like his son and there's also a private investigator in town that's trying to get to the bottom of everything and the cool thing is that you end up picking up the private investigator's notes because he's gone like you don't know where he is like maybe he got murdered maybe he didn't and you kind of like end up picking up on his notes later in the game. And so you're kind of like adding to your investigation by following the notes of his investigation. And at a certain point in the game, you get to a point where you find a note that's left in the hotel that he was staying in that says something like, like it's a really desperately written note on like a sheet of paper that's like, oh, I think I know who the killer is. Um, I stashed a key and a storm drain and because the killer was following me and I had to stash it and run. And it turns out that the private investigator got murdered by one of one of the murderers in town because there's more than one. And you find the key. This is like very end game stuff. You find the key in a storm drain. You have to use a wrench to get the key out. And the key ends up being for the church. So you go to the church, and before, and this game is creepy, first of all. I know I said that last week. There's a lot of creepy stuff going on in the game. It's not a horror game by any stretch of the imagination, but you're kind of like, like, it kind of leans into, like, maybe there's a ghost story happening, like, maybe, or maybe, like, somebody's in the town, and they're kind of fucking with you, but you never see them, or maybe it's just circumstances, and so you don't ever, like, know concretely what's going on, but at the very end, you find this key in the storm drain, so you get to basically tie off the loose end of the private investigator who got murdered to continue his investigation, which will hopefully answer all the questions you had about the murder, too. The key ends up being for the church. So you go in the church, which you've already been in a bunch of times in the game, and in Father Matthew's office, there's like a lamp, and there's a secret keyhole behind the lamp. So you like pull the lamp to the side, and you know this by finding uh, the investigator some photos that he had taken earlier. He has a photo of the lamp. And you insert the key in the lamp, you turn the key, and of course the bookcase opens, because this is like classic murder mystery business. The bookcase opens, you go through the bookcase, there's a stair, stairs that go up, and the stairs go up into this attic room in the church, and there's like a kind of like a stained glass window, although it's not stained glass, it's just like a window that overlooks the entire church, and it's like this little office. You go up into the attic to this little office, and you're led to believe it's Father Matthew's like secret office, and you look on the desk, and there is a bloody axe on the desk, which leads which it was the murder weapon that Vivian was killed by, because you find some medical reports that show that Vivian is killed by an axe blow to the head. So you find the axe, and I, or I found it, and I was kind of scared, and I was like, oh, God, what's going on? And then there's a, 
So the murder was kind of solved at that point. And then you find the typewriter next to it. And like the investigator had made a note about how some of the letters that the typewriter that the murderer had left, like some of the letters were strangely like calibrated. And so there's like a sheet of paper in the, in the, the typewriter that has some, some words on it. And you can see that some of the words look a little weird and you're like, oh man, like all evidence is pointing to this guy. So you open the desk drawer and there's a tape recorder in the desk drawer and you turn on the tape recorder and the game pauses while you're listening to the recorder like you can't run around or anything and the tape recorder is a the tape in it has a really sort of like creepy um confession tape of Father Matthew basically confessing to murdering like three people in the town and he also murdered uh Vivian and so you're listening to him kind of give this confession about like, okay, I gave these people a chance to confess their sins, but they didn't confess their sins. So therefore I had to murder them. And he talks about <laughs> like, I know it's kind of silly, but he talks about how he murders every person and like the voice actor for it. There's not a lot of voice acting in this game, but the voice actor they got for him was like really, um, like really good. He's very, very like, you know, what you would imagine as like a, like a psychotic guy, like sweating a lot in the corner of a room, like hands shaking, recording this, this message. And so you finish listening to the tape, and as soon as the tape cuts off, you hear a door open and close in the church. Oh, shit. And I was, like, I kid you not, I was scared out of my mind because you hear the door <laughs> shut. And then you hear like footsteps and you hear like kind of like keys jangling on on like a belt or something. And you're in the attic. There's only one way in and out of this attic room. And it's like you walk back down the stairs into the office. And a lot of the the architecture in this game is is built very much like a real, like a real house, a real church. It's not like some fantastical police station or something like in Resident Evil. It's like very, very logistically well done um, architecture. And so I'm like break out into a cold sweat immediately and I'm like standing in this attic room and like backing up toward the window because I don't know what's going to happen. The game has never presented any sort of scenario like this, which made it really frightening, but in a really good way. And so I'm standing there like, you know, spine chilled after looking at this bloody axe on the desk and listening to this confession, this, uh, you know, Father Matthew's confession tape, hear the door close. I hear the keys jangling. I have no idea what's going to happen. Like the game could pull anything at this point. And so I'm standing there like looking at the door, like just waiting to see what's going to happen. And Father Matthew comes running up the stairs with another axe in his hand and starts attacking you. And you have to run away from him. And the game, of course, there's like a pop-up that's like, you can no, no longer save your game beyond this point, which made me extra scared. So like, you have to run away from this guy and it's the first and the only chase sequence in the entire game. And it's so exquisitely done because whenever you're, you, you like, you, it takes a few hits to die and I didn't die, which is good news. So the game, it's not like a one hit kill, like fuck you scenario. So he comes up the stairs and... I run to try to get away from him and I can't remember exactly how to get around the church because the architecture is slightly confusing, like where, which corner the staircase is in. And he's chasing after me. But the cool thing is that the ghost story element plays up a little bit because Sophia, who was the maid who had the child, um, the illegitimate child, she, her like ghost pops up. And I know it sounds cheesy, but it's really actually well done. And she like points you in the right direction to go. So not only... 
is it a good chase sequence? But instead of being totally um, like super, like you don't know where to go, you're not exactly sure what to do. She points you, uh, her ghost will pop up and kind of like point down a hallway for you to go. So you end up going down this basement into a sewer. You like run all the way through the sewer and she pops up every once in a while. And she, she'll like point down, you know, like this, you know, sort of like levee area to go down and you can hear Father Matthew if you're, if he's close enough, you can like hear him behind you. And I wasn't dumb enough to like stop and look because I wasn't going to be like, oh God, how close is he? So I just like took off and you get to a point where the sewer exits back into the hospital. And if you remember it, if you had explored thoroughly earlier in the game, there's, you can get to the roof of the hospital and there's a piece of the ledge that's missing so you get to the roof of the hospital and somebody had killed themselves by jumping off the roof of the hospital at a certain point earlier that you find investigation notes from. You get to the area where the person killed themselves and as Father Matthew starts chasing you, you like look over and interact with the ledge and this like cutscene kind of happens where it shows him rushing toward you with the axe and then the ghost of Sophia like pulls the main character out of the way and he lunges and falls off the roof and dies. And the way I'm explaining it might not make it sound as climactic as it was, but if you think no, about it. No, this sounds awesome. This sounds totally <laughs> awesome. I'm, no, I'm, I'm very excited by this. This sounds like amazing. Like, and it, I like hearing you talk about it. I'm like, oh, dude, this sounds great. This sounds like a wonderful uh, finale. Like, I kind of want to play this now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like it, it just like it played it played out so well, because if you think about, um, you know, the monotony of spending like I think I played this game for like seven hours or so, like. Spending seven hours, um, you know, just sort of like monotonously bumming about this town, reading these notes, trying to track down what happened, what happened to this woman, um, you know, looking for keys, getting into these houses, trying to figure out like what the fuck is going on with all these like intertangling narratives with all the people that lived in this in this town. And then it has that nice like indie game sort of. Um, sort of feel where it doesn't like force its hand early like it doesn't sh it, it's not like outlast where the game like opens with a chase sequence so you know that there's going to be a chase sequence every like 30 minutes in the game i had no right. idea this game was capable of this because i came in thinking like okay yeah the game is beautiful like it's really well done um the graphics are really nice you know the town is well laid out but there's no character models in the game so i was thinking like oh, well, like, you know, maybe the developers didn't want to do character models because it's not easy to do a character model and make them animate. And that's really common in walking sims. Like, you play entire games without seeing a character model or without interacting with anybody. So I totally thought it was going to be like that. But then, you know, the 11th hour of the game, when you get to the very end of the investigation, you hear that church door shut, and you know, it's kind of like the house at the end of Condemned. Like, you know that it's just you That's totally what I thought of. That's exactly what I thought of. Yes. Yeah, it's just the two of you in this space, and you don't know, you don't know if he's going to attack you. You don't know what's going to happen. And the game, it just, like, the chase sequence at the end was so, so exquisitely done and so scary and really surprised me because I didn't think the game was capable of doing anything like that. And then all of a sudden there's a guy stalking you in this church with an ax in his hand. And I even went back and played it a second time because there were a few achievements I wanted to clean up for some explorational stuff. And I finished it a second time. And even the second time when I knew totally what was going to happen, I still, when I heard that church, that church door shut and I heard those keys jingling up to the attic, like I was cold sweating, totally like, like shivering, like was really scared, even though I had already done it before. And it, oh man, it was like the perfect, the perfect climactic finale that wasn't too difficult because it's not like a one hit kill thing. Um, it, 
brought an entirely new element into the game that I was totally unexpected for me. I had no idea the game was capable of a chase sequence, and it just like tied a knot, tied a little bow on the game in such a such a beautiful way that was so climactic and and scary and really just like the whole game it's one of those games where it's like a slow burn like the game is you know about to start simmering and then at the very end like it hits that full-on boil and it really just takes off and i mean the chase sequence only lasts a few minutes you're not like running across the town for 30 minutes getting away from this guy but it was oh man it was so so surprising and so well done and i i am so just thrilled that this game had that ace up its sleeve at the very end and just threw that chase sequence on me because it was oh man it was so such a satisfying ending to this game and i cannot compliment the game and the developers enough because they the fact that they put that chase sequence in at the end it was just so perfectly done and i really admire what they've done with this game that sounds amazing. Like, that is the kind of thing that I love also. I love when there's, like, a big, not necessarily twist, but, like, they're kind of, like, subverting your expectations and kind of at the last minute, like, showing you, like, another side of what they've done. I mean, like, I was, when you talked about this game last week, I was like, whatever. Another <laughs> another walking sim to put on the giant mountain of walking sims that already exists. Like, I super didn't care. But now that you're talking about this part, I'm like, oh, okay, wait, wait, wait. This sounds very good. Like, I'm down for, like that last minute change and the shift and like even like little supernatural elements popping up or like a little killer element coming up. I mean, that got me really excited. And like, even knowing that you talked about this and even knowing that it was coming, I'm like, Oh, okay, wait, 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 I want to play this now. And if this was out on PS4 right now, like I would totally get this. So if it comes out on a console, I will definitely play this. Cause that sounds like something that I want to check out. Um, totally reminded me of uh, condemn, like you said. And I love that. Like, adding some tension, adding a little bit of excitement to something which is generally um, very slow, very, you know, the reveal is like, oh, snore, you know, like sometimes it just, people just don't get there. But I have a lot of respect for people who do have somewhere they want to get and they take their time getting there. And it sounds to me like it was very worth the time. So six or seven hours is what you said? Yeah, I think I played it for about eight hours total, if I remember correctly. Okay, so that sounds like not too bad. Um and I guess is, I mean, okay. So like, like I know that you and I play these games very differently. Uh, I know that you are Mr. Look in the medicine chest, read the notes. I am like, Oh my God, where are we going? Let's get there. <laughs> um, if I was to play this and I didn't want to read all the notes and I just wanted to kind of just get from point A to point B, like, could you, could you streamline that down quite a bit? Um, well, first of all, I must correct myself. It was six hours. I just checked steam to see, um, they, still not bad. Not yeah, bad. still not bad. I mean, most walking sims are only like a couple of hours, so this one's like a little bit longer, a little more robust. But as far as streamlining it, I mean, it's possible to look, because I had to look on um, on a couple of walkthroughs on the internet because there were a few times when I needed like a passcode for this safe or like a door code, and I, I, th I was kind of at my wit's end and couldn't remember like which note had it or if I hadn't, you know, opened this one desk drawer that had a journal and I didn't want to be like super penalized for that. So there's like, if you can find walkthroughs online and they are kind of hard to come by because this is a pretty small, you know, it's not really a well publicized game. Um, you can like look up some passcodes and like watch like YouTube walkthroughs and stuff to figure out what to do to streamline it a little bit. So you're not totally stuck. But as far like, if you really just want to go in by yourself and play as much of it as you can. It's There's not really a streamlined way to play it. This kind of is one of those games where like, 
you really have to open every door, open every drawer, open every cabinet, and really like look through everybody's shit. And I know that sounds really boring to a lot of people. I'm sure it doesn't sound very thrilling, like looking through a bunch of abandoned houses. But the narrative for me, it was enough to really like kind of dangle that carrot to keep me engaged to want to know like who's murdering this people what's going on with this love triangle like what what the hell like who who jumped off the hospital roof and killed themselves like that kind of thing but it's not really a streamlinable game i guess it would come down to the writing then because i'm on record as being not a fan of somebody who reads a bunch of notes or like you know just that sort of like passive put it all together kind of thing just doesn't generally work for me, um, which I just know about myself. I mean, not, not like I'm trying to like blame this game for anything. Just I know that I just I just I just don't get there if that's how the game is being told. But I mean, it's possible. I mean, there there are times when those things do work for me and I am very interested now. Like I'm getting kind of excited hearing about the ending and stuff. So, uh, I mean, OK, so I'm going to put this back on my keep an eye out on it list. And if I see it come through P.S., four or xbox one maybe i'll give it a shot so that definitely was that to me makes it stand out a lot more than than some of the other walking sims we've talked about or like in walking sims in in general so okay cool you have done you have done your job selling this game i think that to me gets me very very excited and uh hopefully other people out there who are listening to this will be excited as well i hope so too because it's this is a total surprise for me, just one of those games that I happened upon on Steam and thought, you know, who knows, maybe it'll be great, maybe it'll be shitty. You kind of take that gamble with, with games like this. And yeah, it's a little slower paced than a lot. It's a little slower paced and a little bit longer than a lot of like, you know, kind of linear walking sims out there. But I just really enjoyed it. Just the, the atmosphere of the town, it has like a very slight creep factor going on where you're not exactly sure like, what's going on in the town and just like the whole atmosphere and getting tangled up in what the hell was going on in all these people's lives in the town and kind of coming to it after the fact, almost in like a fallout way. Like you come to it after the fact and then you kind of have to put these pieces together based on what everyone has, has written and recorded and, you know, hospital documents and personal investigator documents and stuff like that. And, and man, that ending just really, really, paid off because it could have the game could have ended in a total way where you just find all the documents you get back in your car and you leave and then the game's over like it could have been totally like that but the fact that they did the whole killer reveal the fact that he chased you and he was trying to cover up his murders and you know really ended out with a bang and i just really am really impressed by this game so one final question before we wrap the show here so that sounds awesome like i'm very i'm I'm much more high on this game than it was last week but um, I guess my question is, did he kill everybody in the town? Like, why is there why is there nobody else in the town? He only killed three people in the town because everybody else in the town was too busy killing everyone else. <laughs> 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 Which is kind of true, but kind of not. I mean, some of the people, uh, there were a few people in the town that passed away from old age, but, like, Vivian coordinated to kill her husband's mother, um... The daughter, uh, Sophia, that was a, that had the Ill- illegitimate child, like, I think she was pushed down. Uh, she was, like, struck and pushed down a well. And there's, like, one point where you have to, like, climb down this well and you find her necklace at the bottom of the well. And there's just, like, a lot of stuff. It's, like, everybody in the town has, like, a dirty secret. And usually it involves, like, murdering someone. And you just have to go in and, like, 
figure out kind of who was responsible for what and how they did it and just put all the pieces together as you play. All right, cool, cool, cool. All right, well, that is definite, uh, definite surprise ending upswing uh, for the Payne's Creek Killings, and I'm, I have this back on my list, so good. Kudos to you, man. You sold me on a walking sim. That does not happen often. <laughs> not because of any fault of yours, but, you know, me and the, and the genre. But, uh, yeah, I'm down for this one. If it comes to PS4 or Xbox, I'm in. Um, no further questions, uh, but sounds cool. And I think uh, unless you got anything else, we should probably uh, wrap the show. What do you think? I am ready to wrap if you are. I'm ready. Let's do it, sir. <laughs> All right. Well, consider this the ending of the spoiler section. Uh, I will put it in the show notes again for beginning of the spoiler section and the ending of the spoiler section. But that brings us to the official closing segment of the show. Uh, please remember that you can stick around after the ending show music and you can hear tonight's banter. Uh, Brad talks about a trip that he went on to California and about food that he ate there and some of his businessy stuff that he was doing. Um, I talk about some uh, my successful, oddly successful work week at the office, which might not sound that exciting, but I don't know. My me overcoming office odds might be a good tale for some people. Um, that's at the end of the uh, after the show music. Uh, in the meantime, please remember you can send us any comments, thoughts, feedback, any Q and A stuff, show ideas, any games you're interested in hearing about. Uh, you can email any of that to us at so video games podcast at gmail.com. You can also post comments on the Game Critics site uh, whenever the show goes live on our podcast page. You can also tweet at us, which is probably the best way to get a hold of us. We are on Twitter as a collective show, at So Video Games. And you can also reach us individually. And uh, Brad and I both, our Twitter handles double as our Instagram handles, now that we're both on Instagram. We don't post anything show-related on Instagram, but... If you want to take some peeks into our lives, uh, you might, I don't know, maybe you might want to do that. Um, but my Twitter and Instagram handle is my first and last name, Corey Motley, C-O-R-E-Y-M-O-T-L-E-Y. And Brad, what are yours? You can find me at B-R-A-D-G-A-L-L-A-W-A-Y. Like you said, both on Twitter and Instagram. And uh, come, come over and say hi. Yes, please do. Um, Twitter is undoubtedly the best way to get a hold of us and... We enjoy uh, chatting with people on Twitter about the show and about show topics and stuff. So um, you can find us over there. But in the meantime, this is the end of episode 89. We will be back next week with episode 90. And that's it. Do you have anything else, Brad? Uh, nothing else except for bye for now and join us next week. All right. We'll see you guys next week. Bye. Okay, let's take it away, sir. Um, well, we're not... <laughs> we're doing banter first, right? Uh, yeah, I guess you're right. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> as, as is perfectly obvious, rough start to the new So Video Games. Rough rough day, actually, because I told you that I was going to... We originally agreed at 9.30, and then I'm like, okay, that's that's. I needed a little bit more time. And then we went moved it to 10. And then it's like 10.05, and I'm like, shit, I should have said 10.30, because it's not enough time. <laughs> But we're here. We're here, and people listening to the show may not know, probably don't know, but, I mean, it took us, what, like, at least half an hour of tech troubleshooting to get the recording started? 
Yeah, the good news is that usually this does not happen, but for some reason on my computer this week, Brad's audio was not coming through to me, but we have fixed it and we are proceeding as planned. Exciting behind the curtains stuff of so video games. So, okay, so now that we're recording, now that we're assuming this is going to work, okay, so we're doing banter. I got to get my head straight because this has been a crazy <laughs> week. I will tell you about my week, but let's hear, I want to hear about work training week because I saw your tweet, your triumphant tweet sounded like you had a big uh, training at work and then you were like the least experienced person, but you were giving the training, which is kind of a weird setup. Sounds like a sitcom almost. Uh, uh, but it sounded like it went well. Tell us all about it, man. What happened? Yeah. Okay. So at work, so I've talked a little bit before about in the department that I work in, I handle basically like incident reports that come into campus. So if anybody, if any student, any professor, any staff member, any parent, basically anybody can file uh, one of these reports. Like even like I could send you the link and you could file a report, even though I don't know what you would be complaining about on my university's campus, but you uh, nonetheless could fill one out. Um, I will talk about your subpar performance at work, obviously. (laughs) Send me that form right now. Well, the good news (laughs) is that if you do that for a staff member, we don't take any action on it because we only do stuff with students. So... Oh, my um, God, that's so bureaucracy. Yeah, you can fill out a form. Yeah, it goes straight in the round file, whatever. Well, if you, <laughs> like, if you filled out, like, if you knew a student at my university, that might be more helpful. But but sometimes, like, we have a, our, like, campus police department does this all the time where they will fill out, like, say, like, a faculty member will, like, slip and fall down a few stairs. And then, like, our police department responds. And then, like, our campus... Um, like safety people respond and then our police people always fill out an incident report for us like every time and uh and i wish that they would not do that whenever it's not a student or it doesn't involve a student because sometimes we'll get faculty and staff incident reports and our department like literally doesn't do anything with faculty and staff we're there for student support so it's basically just a big waste of everybody's time it's a waste of the police officer's time to fill it out it's a waste of my time to read it it's a waste of pretty much every almost everybody that's above me in my department gets all these reports emailed to them. Like it's like an auto CC thing. And so then they read it and it's a waste of time for them. But nonetheless, um, that's not what we're here to talk about. So basically, um, we're, we're starting, um, we're starting a new thing or kind of like switching roles with some people on campus where we have like our campus rec area on campus, like the, basically like the gym. Um, and we, have basically have the campus rec people governing all of their own incident reports for the gym that's on campus and our gym that's on campus it's not um it doesn't come out of the students tuition so if the students want to use the gym they have to pay for it separately i think even though it's on campus but i don't think it's expensive at all for students and it's also open to the community so anyone in the community can get a pass for our campus gym and then they can use it And, I mean, it has all the things you would think a gym would have. It has, like, two different weight rooms. It has, like, three different, um, like, cardio, like, elliptical and treadmill areas. It has a track on the very top floor where if you don't like using uh, treadmills or ellipticals, you can just walk the track. It has, like, two pools inside. It has an outdoor pool outside. So it's got, like, all the stuff. There's classes. There's tennis courts outside. um, You know, everything that you could want. And... Sometimes whenever we would get instant reports, I would, for Campus Rec, whenever I got started at this job, I was taught to forward them all to this one guy that works in Campus Rec. And then basically he would kind of do my job for my department, except for he would do them for Campus Rec. He would like assign them, assign the cases to people in Campus Rec. And 
what ended up happening was because Campus Rec have their own protocols for following up with students. Like if a student is playing basketball and they sprain their ankle or they, you know, get hit in the head or something like that in any kind of athletic event. And they have their own protocols for following up with students. But the department that I work in, it's basically like our job to follow up with students. So it's kind of this weird like double work thing. And for a while I was... um, I was forwarding these reports to the campus rec people, and then I Wait, wasn't. You were what? What did you say? Oh, I was forwarding the reports to the campus rec people. Oh, I, I thought you said you were forging these reports. Oh, no, no, like, no, no. That's, no. That sounds improper. I would not do that. Um, <laughs> and so I was forwarding those reports, and then it didn't really dawn on me until a few months into my job that, like, oh, well, camp, but like my department needs to be following up with these students too. Like, why wouldn't we follow up with them? Because we kind of like have a heavier hand in that kind of thing on campus. So basically, we decided to have my department uh, take over all of the campus rec stuff. So the guy who I normally forwarded reports to, um, I changed his rules so that way all of the reports that used to go to him now come to me, and I will start doing all the campus rec stuff on campus. And basically, I'll just be doing what he did. So it's kind of like cutting a person out, and it's also making sure that my department can reach out to every student, but there's also a bunch of rules involved where, because Campus Rec still wants to reach out to the students um, to make sure that they're okay. And for some injuries, like if they get a concussion or certain head injuries, they actually have like a form that they have to fill out or have like a doctor fill out that clears them to come back to the to the rec center to play. So we set up all these rules within the system that we work in at work about like where my department would keep the cases, but the campus rec people can go into our cases and send letters to students. It's basically there's a way in the system for them to email directly from the system uh, students. And there's like letter templates and there's task templates and all this complicated stuff. But for, for going forward now, we are owning all the cases. My department's owning all those cases. But campus rec can still get into our cases and send letters from our cases to the injured students. And so I had to hold a training seminar with the campus rec people. There's about, I think, like eight to 10 people in campus rec that I was working with, um, only two of whom I had met before the training day. And I had to go in and train them. And I recorded the training, like kind of like a Skype call almost. And um, like while I was sitting in the room with them so that way they could come back and reference it if they needed to. And I basically just had to show them the new protocols, show them how they could send letters, show them how they would complete tasks. And we kind of discussed some ins and outs of different things for Campus Rec. And I was extremely nervous about it because I have only been at the university for about six months and I'm not super duper qualified yet. Like I'm literally the least qualified person in my department, like by a long shot. And um, the campus rec people, I don't know what kind of qualifications the campus rec people have, but they, um, I feel like, I mean, they might not all be like educationally higher qualified than me, but for a while I thought they were. Um, but it's still like the idea of walking into a room of people you don't know and not feeling super competent and training them on stuff that you're not super competent about because like tasks and letters in the system we use are something that I don't ever do. Like I don't send letters to students. So I kind of wasn't sure about like what all the protocols were for it, but I went in, I trained them and everything seems to have gone off without a hitch so far. Um, I haven't had any campus rec cases since I trained them. Cause that was just a few days ago. So I'm sure we'll get some like bizarre ones that come in that um, I might be a little bit in over my head with uh, as far as like, stuff that concerns like non-university affiliates or 
um, students doing like some kind of conduct thing because one of the women was telling me that sometimes they have students that'll like give other people their passes for the gym so that other people can get in and they're not supposed to do that. So like there's going to be a new like subset of layers to this that I'm going to have to navigate and get on board with as the reports start coming in. But the good news is that the guy who used to do it um, who I was forwarding the reports to, he's like super nice and super helpful. So if I ever have any questions, I can just call him or email him and I know that he'll be able to help me and point me in the right direction. But long story short, this was like probably my most successful work week since I started there. Like on Monday I went in, we had a new case manager start. We had we had a guy make like a lateral move in the university. He came from one center and he, he's been working for the university for a couple of years and he just, uh, one woman got promoted out of our um, out of our department. So he interviewed and kind of like moved from a different department into our department. And he had a question about the system we use and I was able to answer it like immediately, which was, you know, mind blowing for me that I actually had the answer to something when somebody had a question. And then um, the thing that he asked, it was actually, I'm glad he asked because it is something that I had forgotten to do for other people. I had made a bunch of new user accounts this week because we hired new resident directors for the dorms. And the thing that he had a question about, I had forgotten to do that thing for the other like three people I had made accounts for. So then I was able to go in and fix that thing for everybody else that I had made the questions for. And like another woman that I work with, she thought she had deleted an incident report and was like scared because it was old and it was something that she needed to like file into these cases. And I was able to help her find those. Although in my defense in that one, the solution was very strange and I think it was a glitch on the system's part, but um, it was nice. Like I felt like I knew what I was doing at work for once in my life this week. And I held the training and did everything pretty well as far as I know. So it was a successful work week for me. Well, that sounds amazing. I'm very glad that you pulled that off. Um, I know that it's sometimes weird to feel like maybe you're not the most seasoned person, but you go in there, you do your best, and then your best is actually best. It's good. That's really good enough. It's a good feeling to feel like validated in that way. And, you know, the fact that you were not like immediately fired after the training like says a lot. So, I mean, I think you should take that as credit. But it was interesting because you said that you were standing up there talking about a subject that you were not like super confident about. And I immediately imagined you like you in front of the room. And, like, you know, a room full of people, like, staring at you. And you're sort of, like, you know, teacher Corey Motley's in the front of the room. And he's like, okay, so thank you for coming today. Um, how many of you have heard of walking simulators? Please raise your hands. <laughs> See, that's <laughs> so something need... I could have talked at length about and taught them about. Exactly. If you ever need a subject that you are 100% confident of, you just hold that training and you will blow their asses away. So keep that in your back pocket for later. <laughs> So, yeah, okay, so good, good, good. I'm very glad that that went well. What else uh, What else has happened in the last week or so? What else you got? Um, I really, like, don't think I have anything else. Last night I was writing the script really, really late at night, and I had one of those moments again where I was like, God, I'm sure something has happened this week. And then I just couldn't really think of anything. And that's really, like, pretty much all I did this week was work, but I had very successful work. So that's about... Um, I don't know. That's about it. Last night, I had a rousing Friday night to myself, and I bought a new Gundam model kit because I put those together all the time and drank beer and watched Blade Runner 2049. Have you seen Blade Runner 2049 yet, Brad? I have not, although I, I was aware that you had your rousing night because I saw your tweet about it, and I'm like, oh, Corey's tying one on. Mm -hmm. Watch out, folks. He's yeah. got the Gundam. He's got the beer. Yes. No, I, before we talk about 
Blade Runner. I have not seen it, but so I, I know I've asked you this before, but I forgot. Like when you're done with your Gundams, it seems like your Gundam intake has been increasing lately. Where are you? <laughs> where are you putting these Gundams? They're actually um, right behind me, where I'm sitting right now, um, in my office slash computer room slash photo studio slash spare bedroom in the house. Um, we have like the computer desk set up and behind me, we've got these two white cabinets in here that we got from Ikea. And basically I just have them all set up on a shelf or on like, it's kind of like a bookcase thing with cabinets on the front and they're all on one shelf. But I have about five in my office at work that I took in um, that I just have on one of my uh, drawers at work. But the really sad thing is we have, I don't know if I've told you this before, if it's even relevant, but Patrick and I have a Roomba, one of those like automated vacuums in yeah, the house. Yeah, 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 totally. And we have it set on a schedule where it runs, I think Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday on its own. Like it runs at like, I don't know, like eight or nine in the morning. And the idea is that it just, it backs itself off the dock and then it, it, it it's not like, um, it doesn't have like a path it follows. I think we have like one of the, like kind of like an older like not as cool Roomba model so we don't have like any pre-programmed paths or anything for it it just kind of like goes and does its thing and then if it doesn't get stuck on anything or if it doesn't run out of power it will automatically dock itself at the end but it usually doesn't automatically dock itself so every day I get home from work it's kind of a fun experiment like seeing that it's not on the dock and being like oh no like where did the Roomba get stuck today? Time to find the Roomba. Yeah usually it's like under the couch or something but a couple weeks ago I forgot to I usually put this like blanket in front of the door into the spare bedroom so that way the Roomba can't penetrate it and can't get into the spare bedroom because there's a lot of like wires and stuff in here and I forgot to do that so I came home from work the other day, or it was like a couple weeks ago, and played the, oh no, where's the Roomba game, and walked into the spare bedroom, and the Roomba had knocked one of my big softbox studio lights over, and it fell into the shelf that has all of my Gundams on it. And oh like, my God. The only word I can use to describe this scenario is that it was like an absolute massacre of the Gundams. Like there was oh, no. one on the floor oh, that was like no. in half and there were like weapons scattered everywhere. And there was like an arm over here and I still haven't fixed them. Like they're just kind of like about half of them. I'm looking at them right now. It's so sad. They're just like, lying down on the shelf in pieces and I need to really like take an hour of my time to try to like reassemble them but I learned my lesson that day it's not the first time the room has gotten into the studio and messed something up but I need to remember to just put my stupid blanket up whenever I'm um or like shut the well I can't shut the door because the cat litter box is in here so the cats have to get in here but just put the barrier up so it can no longer get in the studio who would have ever guessed that with all those Mighty, powerful, war machine Gundams. The one thing that, like, wins the day is a fucking Haywire Roomba. Fucking no one. Roomba. Uh. I, I, that would make a terrific anime <laughs> episode. I hope they animate that because that would be mind-blowing. <laughs> All right. Cool, cool, cool. Uh, so just one more last question. So, like, uh, okay, two questions. I lied. Two questions. So first off, so I know a little about Gundams, but I am by no means anywhere near, like, a Gundam expert. Are you able to, like, tell which Gundam is which? Like, do you remember their names or their designations just by looking at them, or no? Absolutely not. There's only, like, two that I know um, off the top of my head, and it's because whenever I was, like, 12, I used to watch uh, Gundam Wing, because there's, like, a million different Gundam, like, shows, kind of like how there's, right, like, Dragon right, right. Ball Z and Dragon Ball GT. Like, it's kind of like that before Gundam. 
And whenever I was like 12, I was very shallowly into the anime for a while. And then I remember seeing the model kits. And really, I kind of picked up the model kits and started building them whenever I was about 12 or 13 or so. And really kind of just stopped watching the show. But there's a couple, like I have Wing Gundam and I have uh, Death Scythe from the original, from Gundam Wing on my shelf. And I know those. The rest of them, okay. I have no idea. Um, I could probably like look them up. But usually what I do is I just get on Amazon and I look up ones that I don't have and I order them. Or Barnes & Noble carries them, which is bizarre. Um, so like last night, I just went to Barnes & Noble in town and picked one up and brought it home and built it. They're basically like books anyway. I mean, pretty much. Pretty much. <laughs> so, okay, so that's kind of in the same boat. Like, I know there's, like, a jillion Gundams um, because I've been to many stores that stock them, I, like specialty stores, and there will be, like, piles that are taller than me, like, multiple piles, and, like, every single one is, like, a different one, and there's, like, a, like I literally, like, infinite Gundams available. So I was wondering if you were, like, that level of fandom, but, okay, I think you're still within the realm of sanity, but... Um, how many are in the room with you? Like, if you turned around and counted, I mean, I guess including the ones that are dead on the floor. Oh. Uh, like, how many do you have in there? Oh, my God. All right, let's go on this journey together. I have one on my computer desk that's in front right. of me. And then I have, let's see, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, <coughs> I guess about 15. Um, and there's one in the living room that I'm still working on from last night, and there's about five in my office, so in the realm of 20. Okay, you're getting there. That's a pretty good number. You got, like, a good little Gundam army going. All right, I was wondering, but okay. I would have been, I would have, I would have accepted, like, 100. <laughs> I would have been okay with that. 20 is, okay, so you're in there. You're in there. Okay, we will do a Gundam update. Uh, maybe we'll do, like, an interview with, like, your next Gundam or something. We'll bust. Oh, maybe we'll do, like, an unboxing, maybe. We should do no an unboxing. Way. We'll do, like, a, like a nine-hour episode where you're like, okay, I'm taking part 27. I'm now gluing it to part 28. Hold on. No way. And then we just listen. That might be really fun. No, Think about it. Think about terrible. it. It could be, like, it could be, like, an <laughs> ASMR relaxation video of just me, Oh, my like, God, yes. Bob ASMR Gundam. Gundams. Yeah. No, dude, I think you found your calling. You will be a millionaire. YouTube millionaire, Corey Motley. That would be great. <laughs> All right, all right, let's move on. Uh, so me, a couple of things this week for me. Um, first of all, I want you to know I am podcasting disabled, and I'm sure if my wife hears this, she'll be rolling her eyes at me. Oh, no, what happened? But, um, so, I, okay, so I, I will talk about the trip. I just got back from a trip, and I think that maybe something on the trip messed me up because I came back and I was fine, and then the next morning I hopped in the shower, and, like, literally, like, one drop of water got in my right ear canal and I became 100% deaf in that ear. No. So I cannot hear jack shit out of my right ear, like at all. Um, and it just happened like literally like when that drop of water hit my ear. So I don't know what happened. I, I went to buy like different eardrops from the drugstore. I've been putting shit in my ear like all day yesterday and like none of it is really helping. I thought for like five seconds I got my hearing back but then I didn't and I'm just like it's really frustrating and um, my job requires me to have good hearing so this cannot uh, go on for long. I'm going to give it like another day or so and if I'm not feeling 100% better I'm going to go into the doctor like first thing and I mean I'm sure it's like I don't know, like water trapped right against my eardrum or, you know, not to be gross or anything, but I hear that sometimes, you know, like sometimes you have an earwax that is not cleared out. It can collect and then that can block your eardrum. I mean, I, who knows what, but I was just, it was so random, like literally just a drop. Nothing else happened just in the shower. Nothing crazy going on. One drop and I fucking cannot hear anything out of my right ear. And it's strange because 
um, you don't really realize like how much you depend on that hearing for just like nothing, but like having that ear be plugged, I was, I couldn't hear my family talking. I didn't know when people were talking to me, like people were like talking right at me and I couldn't hear him. I would have to like turn so that my left ear was pointed towards them so I could hear them. I went grocery shopping yesterday. I couldn't uh, understand what the guy at the deli counter was telling me. And I had to like try to lip read him a little bit because I was like, oh, my God, I can't hear this guy. What is he saying? And like he's looking right at me and I feel like such a jerk because I can't hear him. But I'm like, man, this is terrible. And I still have hearing in one ear. So I'm just like, this sucks. I need to get this fixed like immediately. Um, and to make it worse, to make it worse, um, I had to go to work yesterday right after this happened. Right. And I couldn't I couldn't cancel like I had to go because people were waiting for me to be there. So I show up and uh, the people who are talking who I need to listen to standing on my right side and oh, I cannot have them move because there's no place. For, there, it was a small room. There's no place else to go. So dude is standing on my right side talking and I'm like, oh, my God, I can't hear a thing. This guy is saying this fucking sucks. <laughs> and I was just like stumbled my way through it. And the worst part was we had um, we had other people in the room. It wasn't just a one on one meeting. It was like me and this one guy having a meeting. And then there were other observers in the room who like their whole job was to watch us, which already is incredibly stressful. And so I couldn't hear the guy and people are watching me. And I'm like, oh, my God, I am like nowhere near doing my best job right now. And this. Oh, nightmare, nightmare scenario. So I can't hear anything. I got my headphone on my left ear and I can't hear nothing in the right. So, um, I mean, I can still hear you fine because my left ear is fine. But, uh, yeah, this this is terrible. I got to get this fixed like ASAP. Has anything like this ever happened to you, Corey? You ever had like a temporary disability? Um, I mean, I don't know if this counts, but like I broke my right arm twice whenever I was younger. So that was not cool. Um, I think I broke it in first grade and then like fourth grade or like second and fifth or something like that it was a few years apart um that was dreadful because i'm right-handed so i had a lot of trouble um obviously writing um and uh that was not cool but i've never had any like i don't know hearing or vision or like sensory deprivation yeah, of some sort yeah something like that and i will sidestep any jokes about you being old and losing your hearing just so <laughs> thank you i appreciate it <laughs> i mean it was just it was just so weird because i'm in the shower i i feel the water go in and i'm like oh this sucks i mean it's happened before i mean you know if you're going to take showers at some point you're going to get a little bit of water in your ear it just like happens but like usually it's like oh you know you tilt your head a little bit or you rub with a towel or something good to go and it's just like was dead my ear just like fucking died and i'm like oh my god this is the worst so i will keep you posted about that i i feel like i'm probably going to end up going to the doctor on monday because i do not feel like it's getting better so we'll see Mm. um but anyway i think probably i think my wife was correct when she said this probably was triggered by the trip that i just took which makes a lot of sense um i don't think I talked about this on the show before. Have I talked about my LA trip? I did not, right? You told me in top secret confidence, but okay. you didn't uh, talk about it on the show. Okay, well, I can't say everything about it, but um, I, people probably noticed, if you come to GameCritics.com, uh, you will probably notice we didn't have a single fucking update all week, which is bizarre, <laughs> because we usually post at least two articles a day. Um, but I couldn't figure out a way to do it remotely, because I didn't have a laptop or anything. So... Yeah, I went to um, Los Angeles last week, Los Angeles, California, a sunny L.A. Um, I had just like a really kind of last minute um, meeting. I mean, um, I'll try to be I'll try to explain it, but I have to be kind of vague because I can't say everything about it. But um, the guy that I worked with on Hunchback of Notre Dame, Joshua Castile, he had a big time 
audition with like a real big thing going on. I can't talk about it specifically, <laughs> but um, yeah, because it's not finished and there's still stuff in the works and I can't, you know, can't say anything. But anyway, he had a really, really big deal audition and he wanted me to come down because we are a good team. So I said, yes, I will come down. So I flew down to LA. It was like really, really quick. I had like two days notice before I went down there. So um, bought the plane ticket, flew down like in a rush uh, and uh, got down there. We did the thing and it went really well. So maybe I'll have some further updates about this later. Uh, but that's pretty much all I can say about it for now. But he lives in West Hollywood. So I got to hang out in West Hollywood for a couple of days. We went over to Beverly Hills and that was pretty cool. And I have been to California before, originally from California, but from like kind of like middle northern California, had not really spent a lot of time in southern California ever. And it was cool. Like West Hollywood didn't look at all like I thought it was going to look. Beverly Hills didn't really look like what I thought it was going to look. And it was just really fun. We went down um, after we got done with our meeting. We um, just walked around the city like a lot. I did like a ton of walking in L.A. Uh, there was lots of stuff to do. And he was like, oh, we can do whatever you want to do. But I'm like, no, I don't want to pay for like. I don't want to go from attraction to attraction or tourist stuff. I'm like, let's just take in the city. And I've, you know, never really been here before. So, um, we just walk like a lot, just looking at stuff on the sidewalk and the stores and the people and just taking in the whole environment. And it was really cool. Uh, not at all. Like I thought, but it was very interesting. Um, the arts are very strong down there. Restaurant scene is really strong down there. Um, expensive as fuck. A lot of the stuff was really <laughs> expensive. Like we walked by this one restaurant and, um, they were offering a plate of halibut for like $70. Oh and I'm like, God. we're going to keep walking. There's a taco <laughs> truck somewhere. We're going to find it. We're not going in here. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, but um, I one thing that was really, really striking, I found extremely striking, was the, the way that the restaurants decorate their interiors, much different from Seattle. And in fact, I mean, I live in Seattle now. And I got to say, I'm kind of becoming like less and less enamored with Seattle because I feel like it's going the wrong way. It's kind of like all of the Amazon and Google and Microsoft and tech bros are coming in. And they, I mean... The, the way that the city is responding to this is they're offering things that are more and more expensive, but they're just like really dumb and tacky and they don't have a lot of taste. And it just seems like things are just getting spendier without really getting better. Um, and in L.A., it's like they really seem to focus a lot on like how things looked like the um, just the ambiance, which is pretty cool. We didn't really go into a lot of these restaurants to eat, but we walked by and like one of them was done up like 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 the like the way a tavern would look in like Robin Hood, like with ivy on the outside kind of like an english cottage kind of feel you looked inside and it was kind of like you expected like some i don't know ruddy pub master pouring ale or something <laughs> like it looked really cool um we went in this other one that looked like um i mean it looked like an s&m dungeon in hell is oh what it looked God. like it was red everything was red red light black leather stuff all over the place and i was like man i i don't want to go in here or i don't want to eat anything here but man it looks amazing to look in the window like it looked so cool the best one though which was fucking nuts uh was this restaurant called tao t-a-o and we actually stumbled into it um not on purpose i we weren't sure if it was even open and uh he had said it was new so we wanted to check it out we walk inside it's like a really dark hallway it's got some asian statuary and it's just we can't see anything so we walk inside we turn around the corner and I shit you not, dude, I thought we had entered the fucking Temple of Doom from Indiana Jones. Like, there was this giant fucking sunken two-story pit in the middle of this restaurant. We were up on the upper floor, which was a ground level. So they dug this giant, enormous pit. And there was this humongous statue of something, like Buddha or something, in the back of it. And there was like, oh, my God, it just looked like I was in a fucking temple. Like, it was bizarre. 
to like be outside on the sidewalk, sunny LA, nothing going on. You go inside and you're in a fucking Indiana Jones movie. It was <laughs> wild. It was really wild. So I was really impressed by that. Um, we had a lot of good food that was not expensive. We had some like super delicious empanadas from this tiny little empanada shop. We had some uh, elotes, which is uh, Mexican street corn, where it's like corn and then they put mayonnaise and cheese and butter and spices on it. And it might that sound like kind of dairy overkill, but it was really, really good. And uh, we just hung out. It was really, really just fun. Just really fun. Um, and uh, Josh's boyfriend, uh, I don't want to say who it is, but he works at DreamWorks, actually. He uh, has a job there. So we got to go to DreamWorks and got a behind-the-scenes, up-close-and-personal tour of the whole studio. We got to meet um, one of the ladies that was in charge of uh, How to Train Your Dragon. So she showed us some of her work on that. And we met a director that I can't mention. And we met some other people. And their campus was awesome. And the best thing was you go inside the lunchroom. And the lunchroom was probably the size of, like... I mean, I don't know. Whatever, whatever big buffet you've been to, like, imagine three of those, <laughs> like, back-to-back. And we go inside, and he's like, oh, yeah, and by the way, everything here is free. And I'm like, holy oh shit. So I got a tray and I loaded the fuck up and we had like a delicious ass lunch. It was really good. So, yeah, it was very cool. It was very, very cool. A good trip, um, but it was hot as hell and we walked a lot. And so I think that maybe me being overheated and maybe probably dehydrated and then getting on the plane and flying back and like going like like when I got back from Seattle, I immediately went straight to work. So like I didn't even have a day off. It was like I got off the plane Came home, took a shower, went out the door straight to work. So I think with all that stuff going on, some of that somehow is what fucked up my ear. And uh, I think that probably with a couple days, maybe some eardrops, but eh, probably doctors is it too. I'll be back in, in fighting shape. But <clears throat> excuse me. Anyway, that's what I've been doing for the last week or so. Um, super, super busy. And I feel like everything is out of whack right now. I'm trying to get game critics back up to speed and... Uh, kind of off my podcast game today, but uh, we will do the best we can, I think, and uh, we'll get it rolling, so. Anyway, that's all I got on my plate, man. That is, that's that's my banter for the week. So, for <clears throat> LA stuff, whenever you were there with Josh, was, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, don't, I don't mean this question to be offensive, and I don't think it will be, but were you, like, interpreting for him, like, when you guys were out on the streets the whole time? Um, I mean, sometimes, but not really. I mean, Josh is super capable, and, you know, he's just like an LA you know, denizen himself. He just goes out and about. I mean, if something came up and I was standing right there, sure. But he's like totally, you know, good to go on his own or whatever. We were just kind of just hanging. I didn't really do very much um, interpreting down there at all. So it was pretty, it was pretty chill. Mm, okay. I wasn't sure if you were like also being his personal assistant during like this whole travel thing or if you guys were just like hanging out together the whole time. It's funny you say that because uh, we, we have this kind of like unspoken kind of understanding where like we're just chilling but then when something is going on, I like, I look at him and I go, I go, I'm on. And then he's like, okay. And then it's just like, we just snap to, and then he, he knows that I'm just in work mode and I'm like doing my work. And then he is just like, you know, like it's, it's sort of like a switch. Like, you know, I'm, we're not doing anything. We're chilling, making jokes, laughing. And then I'm on and it's like, it's all business. So <laughs> I was, I was on for very little time during that trip. Most of it was just kick back and, and chill. I mean, I had to get there. The, the the meeting was the next day and then I was taken off the next day so like I mean very little of it was actual me doing work so which was fine uh, but yeah we have a we have a pretty good system going cool that sounds um I don't know really incredible I've never been to California ever so uh, 
I really can't relate to anything that's out there. I'm not a coastal elitist like you, Brad, living in <laughs> Seattle and going to California all the time. <laughs> but I would love to go. Uh, but that's, I, I don't know, I guess like what, whenever you're talking about how like West Hollywood and Beverly Hills didn't look like what you thought they would look like, can you like expand upon that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, I have never spent time down there. And, you know, I think most people in America have heard of Hollywood and Beverly Hills. I mean, it's a pretty famous place. Uh, so, like, I guess what I had always heard was that West Hollywood was, like, this kind of, like, gay war zone with people, like, having sex in the streets and it was filthy all <laughs> over the place. And I heard, like, it was just nuts, like, people just drinking all the time and nothing but wall-to-wall nightclubs. Okay, totally not even remotely like that. Like, plenty of gay people, sure, but, like, that's, like like so many other places everywhere and it was just like a it was just kind of like a cool little suburb it reminded me a little bit of capitol hill in seattle uh just not hills and less trees but like otherwise it was kind of the same vibe like just people chilling out and a couple good restaurants and like a cool kind of like i don't want to say upscale but like you know people were there it was like a, a fun place to be cool to walk around and it was just really like uh you know just kind of neat like it really reminded me a lot of capitol hill in seattle so it wasn't like this you know, Sodom and Gomorrah, debauchery, like people kept telling me it was, or like I kept hearing it was. Because I have other friends who've lived in West Hollywood, and you hear people, and they're just like, oh my God, it's like so gay, and it's so just, you know, <laughs> you know, just over the top. And I'm like, man, you guys must be sensitive as fuck, because I thought it was very fun and chill and normal there, so maybe I'm talking to the wrong people. Um, and as far as Beverly Hills, I mean, I think, I think what I thought of, and probably what a lot of people think of, is like Rodeo Drive, where there's like, the, you know, the world's most expensive jewelry stores and the clothing. Like, you see a movie where a movie star walks into a store with their entourage and they buy, like, every, you know, piece of clothing in the place and they just, like, you know, flounce and walk out or something like that. Um, we didn't go to Rodeo Drive because Josh said that is actually what that particular part is like. But the rest of Beverly Hills, um, again, just like a pretty cool suburb. I mean, there was, um, you know, nice sidewalks, places to walk, lots of little restaurants and we, uh, we went and got a massage in Beverly Hills. So I can say I had a, a, a full massage in Beverly Hills. That's pretty bourgeois. Oh, no. um, but it was just like a place. It was just like another place. I mean, property values are expensive, but, you know, so is Seattle. It just seemed like another cool city where things were happening and people were having fun. And it was just, yeah, it was nice. It was real nice. Cool. Well, I can guarantee you that if um, wall-to-wall nightclubs and people drinking and debauchery in the streets is something you're after, then when you come to New Orleans, Bourbon Street is going to be all of that and more for you, probably. Oh, uh, okay. So Bourbon Street is the West Hollywood of Louisiana, then. I mean, Bourbon Street is pretty trashy, and it smells like pee and garbage most of the time. <laughs> yes, but, yes. I mean, it's lit- it's kind of like... Like, because it goes on for like several blocks, like like uh-huh. dozens of blocks, perhaps. But it basically looks like if you like copied and pasted one city block and just like pasted over and over and over again. That's kind of what Bourbon Street looks like, because it's like, you know, it's like oh, this block there's a daiquiri place, there's a restaurant, there's a strip club, and then it's just kind of like that for infinity until you get to like the Mississippi River. But and plus like here. <laughs> Like you, um, in Louisiana, it's legal. I don't know if it is in California or any other places in the United States, but it's legal to have alcohol on the streets. In, uh, it is not legal out here. Okay, yeah. So Not like, even remotely, no. <laughs> so the kind of cool thing about bourbon or about just like any strip in Louisiana or in New Orleans that has bars and stuff is that you can just like go in and like get a beer. Like I know you're not really a drinker, but like, you know, a lot of people here are downtown. That's kind of what 
it's all about. Um, sure, they just like sure. go in and get beers or mixed drinks or whatever. They just take them out of the bar and just walk around the streets with beer. And it's pretty cool. Like it's something that I never thought would have been like impactful to me before. Cause I'm used to just like going into a bar and sitting down and having a couple beers and paying and leaving. But it's kind of cool. Like, knowing that you can just like leave the restaurant with a beer in your hand or like with a mixed drink and just like walk around the city streets and there's like nobody can do anything about it it's it's pretty neat but it's also kind of dirty and kind of gross but do they um, do they put them in like plastic cups or like what what do they put them in if you're like like if you go in a, a bar and you get like a mixed drink or whatever and you got a big fucking slice of pineapple and a, and a <laughs> an umbrella in it or whatever and you leave like what I mean, it can't be an actual glass because I'm sure they would pay like a fortune in replacing their glassware. Is it just like plastic cups? Yeah, usually it's plastic cups. I mean, the only glass I think I usually see in the street is whenever people literally just order like a bottle of beer and they just take the the glass of beer out, like, you know, the bottle out with them. But yeah, usually, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, usually they just make mixed drinks in plastic cups and they have a couple drinks here that are um, kind of like famous, if you will, in New Orleans. One of them is called a hand grenade. And it kind of looks like one of those Vegas drinks that's kind of like, um, it's kind of like a really tall, skinny glass that looks kind of ridiculous. And it's like neon green, but the bottom, the handle of it looks like a, a grenade, like, you know, I guess, haha, that's what they call it, a hand grenade. And then it's like a little grenade on the bottom that has all the alcohol in it. And what I don't know what's in it. I've never had one before. And then like the stem is like re it's probably like about a foot long and it's like really skinny. And then it like flares up at the top and there's a, a straw coming out of the top of it, if I remember correctly. But uh, yeah, it's usually just plastic glasses or plastic glasses. That doesn't really make sense. Uh, plastic cups. But some places I think if you leave, they like make you pour your beer into a plastic cup when you're leaving, if you have like a glass of beer. But other than that, it's yeah, usually plastic everywhere. Okay, cool, cool. Well, when we come out there to Louisiana, you'll have to order hand grenade. And then when you're done with it, give Witty that glass because it sounds like something <laughs> that he would really enjoy. But other than that, interesting. Yeah, no, that is not at all okay out here in Seattle. I don't think it's okay in California. In fact, I don't know of many places where it's okay. So that sounds like a pretty unique circumstance, but uh, interesting, interesting. Um, so yeah, that was uh, that was my week. And I think we've heard your week. You want to you wanna maybe talk about some games? Uh, I think I'm ready to talk about some games. All right, let's talk about some games. Mm-hmm. 